James, and welcome everybody. How is everybody doing today? Good. Yeah, great. Alex, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate you and Sarah and Jessica uh, organizing the event and uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk about Tesla and my forecast for a while. I always enjoy doing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Super excited for you. (laughs) Anybody remember what the keyboard command is to record your screen? I think it's Windows Control R. Is that right? Uh, not sure. I have a Mac. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I hope I did it right. If we didn't, Sawyer's recording on his screen. Yeah. Uh, More good. All right. Good stuff. So I don't think you need any introduction of yourself. You've been praised by Elon Musk for your excellent insights over the years. And so we're all excited to hear you start. And, uh, well, let's go. All right. Sounds good. So uh, hopefully people are following along on Miro. That link is from the uh, X-Podcast Twitter account, if you haven't seen that yet. But uh, let's go ahead and launch in to the forecast. Uh, I'm on slide number one uh, of the tweet right after the title slide. And this is my overview of my forecast. I always start with this one. I've had this slide for a few years now. Uh, and the story has remained the same up and to the right with Tesla deliveries and revenue and uh, more revenue than costs. So uh, back in 2017, Tesla was still losing money and for the first part of 2018 a little bit. But uh, this has been my introductory forecast summary slide the whole time I've been doing a forecast, even before I had a detailed forecast model together. and. I just wanted to convey the idea to uh, all the long-suffering Tesla shareholders that uh, profits were coming. Profits were in the future for Tesla. It was only a matter of time before the uh, economies of scale paid off with with profitability. So, uh, yeah, the top of the page, I'll just walk you across that really quickly. Uh, This green line is the revenue. The revenue is shown on this y-axis over to the left. Um, And then the other dollars are also over here. So the costs are in gray. I've got a dark gray for variable for, uh, for the fixed costs, and I've got a lighter gray for the variable costs. And then over here on the right axis, this is talking about how many vehicles did Tesla deliver in each of these quarters across time. And what do I think, uh, they're going to deliver in in the future. My forecast is off to the right here. So there's a a correlation here. The more you sell, the more you make. The the short seller's cry uh, for many years was the more they sell, the more they lose. And uh, that was the the tweet from Tesla Charts that Montana Skeptic was so happy to write about on Seeking Alpha when uh, he he plotted an XY scatter plot of Tesla's deliveries against losses. And there was almost a perfect correlation. The more they sell, the more they lose. Um, That was a short-sighted analysis because it failed to recognize the elementary business uh, lesson that uh, there is a point, a break-even point beyond which profits will occur so long as your variable costs are less than uh, 100% of your, uh, your revenues. All right, so this is a P&L summary below the chart that mirrors what's happening in, in the graphics. So the the green 
font here for revenue is paired to this green line up here. So you can watch it as numbers or you can watch it uh, as it as it climbs across the page. Uh, same thing with the, uh, the cost of sales, those are the variable costs. And then uh, my profit metric that I've highlighted here is adjusted EBITDA. That's the metric that I think is the most meaningful for an investor who cares about when is this company going to become profitable? Once the adjusted EBITDA flips to positive, you've got hope. And the bigger that number gets, the better, of course. So that's before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Those are items that are beyond management control. If you're the CFO, there's not a lot you can do about how much you have to pay in taxes or the interest on old debt that was already saddled to the company before you took over, maybe. Uh, or the depreciation and amortization on, you know, fixed assets and uh, contracts or whatever uh, you had already committed to. So that's why I like adjusted EBITDA. It's the profit that happens before those costs hit. And then for operating expenses, I had to put a footnote on here because I was confusing people. This does not match the number reported as operating expenses in Tesla's uh, earnings release because... I'm trying to compress a whole PNL down to only four rows, and that's really hard to do. You're going to have to bucket a whole bunch of stuff together. Uh, so I'm putting everything between revenue and adjusted EBITDA that isn't cost of sales on that operating expenses row, and that's this fixed cost that you see here. It's not exactly fixed. It does climb over time, but uh, it shouldn't be variable based on the volume produced. It should be variable based on how big the company gets. Right. Uh, so I've got the deliveries on here. The deliveries are this uh, this blue line, and then I've also shown the uh, the gap uh, and the non gap earnings. And people do care about what the non gap EPS is. That's the earnings number that Wall Street cares about. Um, they don't care too much about the gap number. So I'm forecasting a dollar fifty-five worth of uh, non-GAAP EPS in Q3 over here, and uh, that's not a lot more than the earnings that Tesla generated in Q2, but it is an all-time record. So anything that uh, anything beating a dollar forty-five would be a new record for Tesla. And I've also shown Rob Maurer's favorite metric on here. If you don't follow Rob Maurer and you're a Tesla fan, what the heck are you doing? He's the uh, the best source for daily Tesla information available. And uh, this is his favorite number, automotive gross margin, excluding regulatory credits. So that is before Tesla sells any regulatory credits, how much money is left over after you collect the revenue from delivering a vehicle and paying for the costs of producing that vehicle and delivering it to the buyer. That's what automotive gross margin is. It's telling you how many pennies you have left per dollar of automotive revenue after covering just the cost of getting that to the buyer. So I've got that number coming down a little bit, and we'll go into why that is later. That's all I've got for this first slide. I promise I will not spend this much time on every slide. Uh, we've got 69 of them, and uh, some of them are a little more duplicative than this. So if there are no questions on this one, I will proceed. And I should say we're going to hold question and answer session until the very end uh, because 
I may answer your question uh, just in the natural course of going through these slides. So if it's something that I don't touch on, then uh, feel free to ask at the end. And I'll, I'll trust Alex to be watching the queue for uh, people who want to ask questions. All right. I'm moving on now to slide three, and this is tweet three of my 69 tweet forecast thread that you can find uh, on Twitter if you follow me. My Twitter handle is at I cannot underscore enough. And this has been one of my favorite charts. I get a lot of positive feedback from people on this one. Uh, look at Tesla's revenue growth <laughs> since, since 2009. You can almost not even see this little <laughs> sliver that represents $73 million. If there were $73 million extra dollars in your bank account tomorrow, you would notice. That's a lot of money. Uh, but on this chart, it doesn't appear to be a very big number. Uh, and then since 2009, you can see how Tesla's revenue has grown year after year, quarter after quarter. They're, they're all on here. I made this chart on Flourish, which is a great uh, website to use if you want to make colorful charts in a preset template. Uh, this this was a, a good one. I was happy with this chart when I made it. And it's just dropping in the quarterly revenue amounts, right? So in 2017, for the whole year, Tesla made $11.759 billion. They're going to post more than that much revenue this quarter. <laughs> They've been averaging almost that much in the first two quarters of this year. So just tremendous uh, exponential revenue growth despite ASPs falling, which we will see later. When I say ASP, that's average selling prices or the revenue per delivery, automotive revenue per delivery. So, yeah, uh, if anybody tells you the growth story is over, here's a chart you can show them uh, to, to right their wrongs. All right, on to slide number four. And I've caused some confusion with this one. I don't think I explained this chart very well when I tweeted it out. This is a sexy chart. Uh, and when I say sexy, of course, I mean S, 3, X, Y, Model S, Model 3, Model X, and Model Y, the four vehicles that Tesla is selling today. And these are just stacked bar charts that show you how much of each of those Tesla was selling. They introduced Model Y at the beginning of 2020 with this tiny little gray bar right there. And it's been growing ever since. Now, in 2021, you'll notice the red and the blue bars drop out completely. Uh, this was for the Model S Plaid refresh, and Model X is just starting uh, Plaid deliveries um, after a long hiatus. So pretty remarkable what Tesla has been doing this year on the strength of really only the three and the Y. <laughs> really only the, the, the E and the Y of sexy have been working for Tesla's deliveries so far this year. And the other new thing about this chart uh, for this time I posted it, I did change the color of the Y. It used to be yellow. I made it gray, light gray. I think it looks a little more professional that way now. Um, but I extend it out to show you what I'm forecasting for 2023, 24, and 25 uh, for the first time. So there's a lot of exciting growth here. And this is only uh, factoring in the capacity for the gigafactories that are in place today. 
maybe we'll find out sometime soon that Tesla has plans to build some more. Uh, it doesn't sound like Elon has any immediate plans to uh, to make that announcement. It sounds like he's uh, going to start thinking about it soon. Got to do got to do some more growth. And these are conservative. Tesla can beat these numbers, I think. Um, it's it's always dangerous saying you think your long term forecast is conservative because sometimes things take longer than Tesla hopes they will. So uh, I hope this is a conservative forecast. I'm going to move on to the next slide here. This is Tesla's global deliveries uh, on slide five now of Model 3 versus Model Y. And I wanted to put this chart in so that we can see visually the story that... um, Elon and Zach have been stressing on earnings calls, which is that Model Y is going to outsell Model 3, and it's going to keep going, right? So you've got really what's an excellent growth curve here for Model 3 with all sorts of little hiccups in here for different reasons. You know, Q1 of 2019, that was the um, homologation and shipping to the EU for Model 3 for the first time. So there were a lot of vehicles left in ending inventory that quarter, which uh, they couldn't get delivered by the end of the quarter. The wave did not pay off that quarter. Um, And, you know, your factory gets shut down in Q2 of 2020 for COVID for seven weeks. That's going to put a dent in the growth story for Model 3. Uh, Hard to deliver vehicles when the Alameda County authorities have closed your factory for health reasons. But uh, the growth story has been pretty good for Model 3, and I'm expecting that to continue into the future. But they're going to be usurped by Model Y, which you see enter right here and come across and just keep going. So I think the, the early part of 2022, we'll see Model Y pass Model 3 and just keep on climbing. Now, uh, some of you may be asking, James, how do you know what the breakdown is between Model 3 and Model Y? Tesla doesn't report it. I I wish they would report it myself, and I've uh, left Elon that feedback before, and uh, he said he doesn't think that much detail is uh, useful or that it, you know, or that its use would be to use the information against Tesla by its detractors. So I... uh, I can see the point he's making, uh, but to someone who does a very detailed forecast, I sure would like him to <laughs> change his mind on that one one day. And at least retroactively, maybe after a long moratorium, release these numbers. So uh, the numbers that you see up here are what Troy Tesla-like, uh believes is the breakdown between the two models, which for my money is as good uh, information as you're going to get. Uh, Also, sometimes uh, Tesla's uh, director of investor relations, Martin Vieca, will include a chart in the earnings release that's just Model 3. And with a little clever sleuthing, uh, you can use that graphical information to verify that you've got the right numbers for Model 3 uh, by charting the numbers yourself and comparing against his chart. And then you can see, yes, these are the right numbers. Then uh, for the forecast to go quarters, uh, my numbers are going to diverge from Troy's. I'm forecasting out farther than he is, 
And I'm trying my best to not look at what he's forecasting so that we really get independent forecasts uh, from him and from me based on what we think the capacity is, because there certainly is enough demand Tesla can sell all the vehicles they can produce uh, for the foreseen future. I'm going to move on to slide six. Uh, slide six is showing total Tesla quarterly production and deliveries. So one of the pieces of feedback I got on my forecast thread was, hey, these numbers out here don't match your sexy chart. Well, they don't because this chart includes more vehicles than just S3, X, and Y. Uh, we've got Cybertruck in here. We've got Semi in here. Uh, <laughs> there, there's an amount you definitely cannot see for Roadster. <laughs> the, those are going to be very small deliveries. And then I also think there's a couple of unannounced models uh, that have been hinted at previously, one from the Berlin Design Studio for the European market and another for what Shanghai ought to be building next as soon as the uh, costs per vehicle will allow them to sell a more compact vehicle at a lower price. Uh, I, that, that's what I expect we'll see next from Tesla in China. So the red line is production. How many did we make in that quarter? And the dotted white line is the deliveries. How many of them got transferred to the buyer in each of these quarters? And there's been some little disconnects. They look very small on this scale. <laughs> they look a little bigger if you, you know, set this y-axis down to uh, a smaller figure. But uh, Tesla's going to be able to sell every vehicle they can make for a long time. Uh, to come. That's what I expect. All right, uh, let's move on to slide number seven from the deck. This is adjusted EBITDA by quarter, and it looks nutty. Um, <laughs> there, there's a lot of there's a lot of positive numbers on here, which is great. You want your EBITDA uh, adjusted EBITDA to be positive. This is one of the metrics used in uh, Tesla's. 2018 CEO performance plan for Elon Musk. He's supposed to be able to uh, vastly increase Tesla's revenue and adjusted EBITDA and market capitalization, the value of the shares, um, to levels far beyond where they were in mid-March 2018 when that agreement went into effect. And he's going to hit all of the EBITDA <laughs> targets. There's uh, eight of them, and uh, they're they're close to being fulfilled. And then on the revenue side, uh, even though Tesla charts famously said that the $35 billion revenue, uh, the first tranche of revenue, would be the only one that Tesla would ever get uh, because he thought they could never be profitable. Uh, he was wrong. <laughs> The 55 is uh, is here, and the 75 is coming real soon. So, yeah, check out this EBITDA. So, so why the vertical climb in 2024? That's a good question. I don't have RoboTaxi uh, modeled separately in terms of how many of them will there be, how many rides will they, they be giving, at what average revenue per uh, ride, et cetera. But what I do have is an assumption that the price of FSD is going to increase over time. So it'll be uh, gradual, which is a lot of what you see here. 
Uh, and then, you know, Tesla's going to figure out how to be more efficient uh, going forward, how to, uh, how to remove parts and processes. The best part is no part. The best process is no process. Um, how to find better components, how to, um, you know, uh, smooth out sourcing logistics. They're going to be paying less tariffs in the future. They're going to have less shipping expenses in the future by having production on every continent where there are buyers. And uh, so that's what a lot of this profit improvement is. Volume is another big piece of this. You've got the rate piece and you've got the volume component. And then a lot of this climb here is my expectation that the price of FSD will continue to rise um, and the revenue per vehicle will rise with it with no corresponding variable cost, right? When you when you charge somebody more for full self-driving, you don't have any costs increase along with that decision. So it just drops straight to the bottom line. That's the kind of flow through you're looking for if you want your business to be more profitable. All right, another one of my favorites. So I put four different charts on this slide. This is slide eight. And all of these are called profit. Uh, the one at the top left isn't really profit, gross profit or gross margin after cost of sales. That's not really profit yet, but it is a good uh, figure to look at to see, uh, is it growing over time? Are your, are your rates and volumes improving? Uh, are they net positive and, uh, and gaining over time? And you see that the trend is up. Um, so that's the gross profit. The adjusted EBITDA at the top right quadrant is, uh, is my favorite profitability metric I mentioned earlier. So we've gone from negative EBITDA early in 2018 uh, to positive numbers every single quarter since. Then on the bottom left quadrant, you've got non-GAAP earnings. So those were negative longer <laughs> than the adjusted EBITDA was. But they've been trending up <laughs> pretty, pretty strongly over here. I like this. That's a good, uh, a good pattern. You, let me grab a line over here and draw out of here some. That's, well, I guess I got, I got the curvy line, didn't I? Maybe I want to undo that. Uh, just grab this highlighter. Why not? Yeah, check it out. That's, that's what you want. You want one of those to happen. Uh, and that's what we're seeing from the non-GAAP. This is the, the Wall Street earnings number. And then over here, for those who really want to complain and say, yeah, but the GAAP earnings are still negative. Well, uh, 2019 called and they want their FUD back. Uh, that's no longer true. Uh, Tesla is making money now and has been for a while. So get with it. Uh, so show this to your favorite Tesla hater who thinks that Tesla's still unprofitable and change their minds. It's not too late to change your mind on Tesla and get on board. All right, slide nine, I just advanced to. This is Tesla's quarterly revenue. And if this one looks a little different to you, it's because it's not my format. I stole this format from Tesla charts. So let me grab the box tool over here and see if I can do any better than I did the last time. So this is how this thing looked 
when Tesla charts tweeted it out. It was cute. It was uh, just after earnings had been reported for Q2 of 2020. And the point of the chart, of course, was to say, look at this. Tesla's revenue is not growing. This is what we call an orphaned chart because it hasn't been seen since. Funny that uh, after this quarter hit and this one and this one and this one, uh, he didn't want to tweet that out again. Uh, what, what if people wanted to know what, <laughs> what, the, uh, what the revenues were? Tesla charts was not telling people. I guess, I guess he would just say it was fraud. These are all fraud over here. That's all they have left. All they have left is to call it fraud. All right, so these uh, these two are in red instead of gray because those are my forecasts. These haven't happened yet. But I will tell you, I'm at $14.6 billion for revenue, and Rob Maurer is also at $14.6 billion uh, for revenue. So if we're both wrong, at least I've got good company. We're, we're literally apart by $0.003 billion on this estimate. So I felt a little better about mine when I saw his. Uh, let's move on to slide 10. All right. We got Tesla quarterly regulatory uh, credits revenue here. This, this had been a darling talking point of uh, Gordon Johnson and a few others, I guess. It still is for him. Sometimes when he has nothing true to talk about. But uh, yeah, regulatory credits really came in at huge increases in 2020 over 2019. And this is when Tesla was, you know, just crossing over from losses to profits. So these regulatory credits really helped a lot. What are regulatory credits? I'm glad you asked. Um, So... Regulatory credits are the money you take from your competitors' ineptness. So when when your competitors are unable to comply with laws requiring them to produce a minimum number of electric vehicles, and they don't, they're stuck paying a fine to whichever government agency uh, put that regulation in place. Unless they can purchase uh, regulatory credits from other companies that made more than they need. Well, Tesla has made more than they need after they sell their first vehicle (laughs) because Tesla doesn't have any gasoline engine vehicles to count against their score. So Tesla's free to sell all of their regulatory credits uh, to others and still be in compliance with the law. Uh, We saw a little downturn in this number from the all-time high of Q1 2021 last quarter, I, I think we're going to see this continue to rise, not because the regulatory credits per vehicle are going to rise, but because the number of vehicles sold is going to continue to rise. So um, we'll see that later on in the detailed forecast. Uh, all these charts are the product of doing the, the detailed work, uh, making all the assumptions which we will see uh, at the end. Let's move on to number 11. Slide 11. And all as the uh, regulations get more and more strict. Well, tell me what you mean by that, Omar. 
you know, for example, various regulations and penalties on uh, technologies are essentially driving up the cost of ICE and increasing the need for things like regulatory credits over. Yeah, I sure hope they get stricter over time. I sure hope these uh, these goals go higher. There there ought to be more electric vehicles being made. That's my position on on the matter. I I like Tesla because Tesla was way out in front of this and actually cares uh, about it. Uh, everybody else is just trying to uh, minimize the expense uh, that they owe from continuing to produce gasoline cars and they're they're trying to get by in compliance cars that people don't really like that much. But that's probably more editorializing than people are here for. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, good point, Omar. Let's, uh, let's move on to, yeah, CEO Performance Award quarterly expense. This was a bear to try to forecast. I have to because I'm forecasting earnings. And one of the things that happens between the revenue line and the earnings line is that you have to, under gap rules, declare some expense, even though it's a non-cash item, as progress gets made towards performance milestones in a, a stock option package. So if the stock option package requires certain business goals to be met, then as those goals become likely, you have to start declaring expense on them as they become more likely than not to occur. And then you get to declare expense prorated relative to where you think you are uh, relative to the date that those uh, options will be achieved and vest, uh, meaning that they're able to be exercised by the recipient. I can't really do a better job than that explaining what these are, but they're a pain in the neck to try to forecast. Uh, you need a big spreadsheet, and it took me a while to build it, but uh, I had some spare time on my hands, and I was happy to have called these big increases that happened from uh, 2020 into 2021. These were happening because the market cap was increasing uh, by leaps and bounds over this time period. At the same time, the revenue and EBITDA were improving a lot. So that meant that a lot more of this non-cash expense, it's just a gap rule. You have to put it on your P&L, even though it's not real. Um, yeah, and you can see most of it's been paid already. So as of 2021 Q2, we're already close to 1.8 billion. Why does this chart end at 2.283 billion? Because that was the maximum amount of value declared on March 21st, 2018 under a Black-Scholes model run against the specific options and their likelihood of being achieved. Uh, so there won't be more than a total of $2.283 billion worth of expense uh, against this uh, performance award for Elon. So there's about uh, half a billion left to go on this. So there, there, there aren't going to be any real big amounts unless one of them surprises us right now. 
there's a lot of management discretion to how much you're allowed to declare, uh, as long as you can get your auditors to agree that it makes sense. All right, uh, so that's that one. This next one is a graph of same size statements. So if you don't know what same size statements are, it's the idea that uh, it's hard to compare different companies against each other, especially when those companies are different sizes, right? Every company is different. Even if they're in the same industry, they do different stuff. Um, they, they can have really different dollar amounts. So what, uh, what the approach is that you can take is say, well, for every dollar of revenue, where's it coming from? If you, if you break down their business units into divisions, which divisions are contributing the most revenue? Which ones are not contributing very much revenue? And that's what this page shows. It's, it's giving you for the average dollar of revenue that Tesla makes uh, every quarter. And I did apply a 12 trailing month average to these, which is one of my favorite tricks, to smooth out seasonality. Because this would be a really jittery graph if uh, I didn't do that. Uh, just because stuff happens uh, each quarter that's maybe not all that meaningful. It's better to just smooth it out by saying, hey, Q1 is a bad quarter most of the time. Q3 and Q4 are great quarters most of the time. If I'm always looking at the average of the previous four months, then I never have to worry about stripping out the seasonality because it, it takes care of itself. So the thing I like pointing to here is the regulatory credit sales. Uh, you know, I, I'll pick on Gordon Johnson again. He goes on TV, on CNBC, and he says, but Tesla can only make money because of regulatory credits. Look how small they are. <laughs> like, at the end of uh, last year, they were five cents of every dollar of revenue that Tesla was making. And I think that's the highest they're ever going to be. I think they're going to drop back down again. Um, as Tesla makes more money from automotive sales apart from regulatory credit revenue. And then uh, automotive leasing, I've got staying pretty steady. It's usually three or four cents of the average dollar of revenue. Uh, energy, we keep hearing, is going to be a bigger and bigger part of Tesla's business. And I hope that's true. Um, we, we understand that there's a lot of difficulty scaling up production of cells and buying enough cells from third parties to be able to make all the products that the market is demanding uh, right now. So hopefully the more that problem gets addressed, the better off we'll be. Then uh, for services and other, this is kind of the everything else of the revenue uh, so supercharger revenue is in here and repairs and stuff at uh, the service centers. And uh, used car sales are in here maybe. Uh, well, it might be over here. I'd have to look in the 10Q again to know uh, for sure. But I will head to the next one. So similarly, you can look at how Tesla spends each uh, average dollar of revenue. So we know where the dollars of revenue are coming from if you break it down. This one is showing us over time, okay, well, how is Tesla spending that money? And in the future, 
these costs are going to come down. The gross margins are going to get better for Tesla. How do I, what makes me think they're going to get this much better um, that Tesla won't have to spend as much out of every dollar on buying car parts, manufacturing, buying raw materials, paying the labor to run the factories? Uh it's because more of the revenue is going to be full self-driving that doesn't have costs that come with it, right? So the more of that you collect, whether it's from robo-taxi commissions a la the uh, Apple iTunes store, there I mean, Apple is so profitable because they're getting all that money just for providing the platform where the commerce takes place. Uh, it's It's a really good corollary to the Tesla network, uh, robo-taxi fleet, where individuals will buy those cars and add them to the network, and Tesla will take a commission on every ride with really not very much associated cost. So that's the, the main thing happening here, and it's why you see these other costs shifting back. Um, energy costs have got growing over time as their, as their revenue grows. It's not as profitable a business because it's a very competitive business selling solar panels. Lots of people want to do that. Uh, battery storage, Tesla has um, uh, cache and brand awareness, but there are competitors in that space as well. Uh, so you can't overcharge people in Tesla energy by a lot and get away with it. Uh, and then service is another. Uh, ought to be declining over time just because they're going to be less and less of uh, the business or the, the cost base. Uh, then you've got SG&A uh, excluding stock cop. That's more of a fixed cost. It ought to be getting smaller as the revenues grow. Um, this everything else excluding stock comp is getting a lot bigger. And uh, if you think about it for a second, Tesla's getting profitable in a big hurry. And I think uh, at the end of this quarter, we'll be able to take a big tax credit from prior year's losses. The IRS does you a solid if you're a business that's losing money and has been for a long time. You're allowed to save up all those losses uh, over time. It's called your accumulated deficit if you're an accountant. And then... As your company gets more profitable and uh, you start making profits, they don't make you pay pro uh, taxes on those profits right away. They wait until you're back to even. So you're allowed to like save up. They're like rollover minutes, your accumulated deficit. Um, but there's particular rules about when you have to wait to uh, use them. So my forecast is that in Q4, of 2021, Tesla will take a $1.6 billion favorable uh, adjustment on their tax expense uh, related to that one-time benefit from prior year's losses, uh, because 80% is the most you can take in the first year under the accounting treatment. And then in Q1, take the other 20%. I have low confidence that that is going to be the timing because we don't get direction from Tesla on when they're going to do that. Um, the, it's a pretty funny read if you find it in the 10K, uh, the, the no guidance guidance on when they're gonna take the 
uh, tax benefit. But after that, they're going to be paying taxes. And that's what you see as these uh, increasing uh, pennies. Uh, more and more taxes every year as more and more profit gets made. And that's what this green stuff is over here, the non-GAAP earnings. These are profits. Profits get bigger over time. Uh, you see these two little red guys over here. Those, those are uh, losses that happened back at the end of 2018, 2019 on a 12-trailing month average basis, same as the previous chart, because there were losses in the quarters in Q1 and Q2 of 18. All right, uh, moving right along. This is a chart I always include in the forecast thread because it's just a fun look, uh, I think, at visualizing the relationship between inventory, production, and deliveries. So you see these numbers reported as numbers in the earnings release, and it's easy to just, you know, move move right past them. But the the principle here is that you cannot sell more vehicles in any quarter than you had to begin that quarter, plus the vehicles you made that quarter. That's the maximum. <laughs> any vehicles that you do not sell from that available supply of finished goods uh, becomes ending inventory, and that ending inventory becomes the beginning inventory for the following quarter. So that's what these little colored blocks are doing. They're showing you the relationship between, hey, why aren't production and deliveries always the same? Uh, <laughs> they're, they're just going to be different. It'll be a miracle if you ever have a quarter where the production and the deliveries are the same number. Um, really hard to get the logistics to work out that way, even if you're doing the wave, which is uh, trying to produce the vehicles that have the farthest to go to be delivered early in a quarter and the vehicles that have the shortest path to go late in a quarter so that everything you produce during a quarter gets delivered before the end of that quarter. It's really good for your P&L if you can manage that, and it's good to have a low ending inventory on hand. So that's what this chart is showing over time. And I've got Tesla managing their inventory better. How are these not getting a lot bigger? I think it's because with factories on each continent, they ought to be able to get better logistics uh, with less worry about putting things on row rows. Uh, when I say row row, that's a roll on, roll off ship. You can't use a regular Maersk uh, over the ocean shipping container. Uh, to put cars in. You could, but it would be astronomically expensive, uh, especially at today's rates. Uh, shipping containers a year ago were from China were like $1,500 uh, to the U.S. Today, they're 10 times that, literally. It's like 15000 in some cases, $20,000 per shipping container, given all the uh, global uh, supply and logistics problems and uh, container ships held offshore uh, in the Pacific and California. You've probably seen the news. It's uh, it's a failure of the just-in-time inventory model and these shipping companies not carrying enough capacity buffer uh, to absorb a problem like the COVID nightmare uh, that happened for them over the last year where stuff stopped moving and you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't find places to put it 
and then the orders came right back again, and there was no shipping capacity available to move it. But uh, I will move on from that diversion to show you this stacked area chart. I wanted to make one of these to help people visualize what's getting produced at each site. So I guess I'll start here at the bottom because these are the vehicles that Fremont has been producing. So Model S, Model X were getting produced long before 2018. Uh, Model X back to 2015, Model S all the way back to 2012, smaller numbers than this. Then uh, Model 3 joined the party in late 2017 and ramped up here. And the Fremont is also making Model Y right now. So here's what they're making. And these are all quarterly, not annual numbers that you see uh, as the scale on the y-axis. So Fremont is making more than uh, 100,000 vehicles per quarter uh, this year. And that ought to grow some uh, over time. Elon has said that he's hopeful that 50% growth uh, can happen. I don't have that much assumed. Uh, we'll, we'll hope I've left Tesla some room to beat this number. Then for Shanghai, those started uh, early 2020, late 2019. And at first it was Model 3, then they added Model Y, you see here. I think there's going to be a Shanghai Compact that starts up uh, starts ramping end of 2023 or early 2024. That's a guess. I don't have good guidance on when that's going to happen, but um, I think if they announce it uh, in the next few quarters, that'll give them enough time to uh, design it and build. We'll see if I'm right or wrong about that. Then for Berlin, we've got the Model 3 and the Model Y happening. They're doing Model Y first. Uh, and then they're adding Model 3 later, which is why you see these kind of inverted. And uh, then Texas comes on board, Giga Austin, making a lot of Model Ys, uh, a whole lot of Cybertrucks. I hope I've left Tesla, uh, excuse me, a bunch of room here to grow. Let me take a drink of water for a second. This is a lot more talking than I do all at once, <laughs> usually. Uh, and then semi. Oh, thanks so far. I appreciate you. Uh, so we've got uh, the Tesla semi up here on top. And it may look piddly compared to the others, but each semi needs lots of cells in it. Um, and the market for long-haul over-the-road semis is not the same market as for uh, passenger vehicles. So you're not, you, there isn't a 16 million a year <laughs> uh, U.S. sales uh, uh, market for semis. It's way smaller than that. So this would represent a, a pretty good market share for Tesla, especially early in the ramp for a product that uh, we haven't really seen tested by companies yet. So my hope is that this number can grow a lot if there's tremendous 4680 cell production by Tesla and by uh, third parties if uh, we can get them to produce those with uh, high nickel content to enable a long range, high power, uh, mega charging semi 
that hopefully by this point will also be at minimum um, platooning compatible, if not uh, also full self-driving compatible. I think it'll be full self-driving and none of these will need drivers in them by this point. Uh, but it's just a forecast. We'll see what happens. When you do a forecast, you know at the outset it's going to be wrong. You don't know how wrong it's going to be, but uh, that's the liberating and uh, the infuriating aspect of forecasting. Uh, whatever you forecast, it will be wrong. Uh, okay, on to slide 16. Now, I'm probably not going to spend as much time once we get past the charts um, <laughs> to explain them because these uh, tables of numbers are less graphically interesting. But uh, this is a different way of thinking about the earnings number. We, have to, we think about earnings in terms of earnings per share, which is a good way to think about it, and that's fine. I wanted to take a different look at it because it's hard to compare against other automakers when they have really low market caps and Tesla's has so much growth built into it already, uh, rightfully so, in my opinion. And the way I thought to look at it is per delivery. What are your earnings if you divide them by the deliveries? And those numbers were negative, again, way back here at the beginning of 2019. And this is 12 trailing months to smooth out seasonality. And look at this growth. It's pretty great. Uh, over $5,000 worth of gap earnings per vehicle globally uh, is great. And then that went up to 6000 in Q2. I think it'll go a little higher in Q3. And then I have this box here starting in Q4 to remind people that there's a question mark of will Tesla declare $2 billion worth of deferred tax benefits from prior year's losses here? They might. Um, uh, I'll sure be happy if they do exactly uh, in this spot, but I have forecasted this to happen before and it didn't. I thought it would happen in Q4 2020. And I guess either the auditors or Zach or, or somebody uh, doesn't interpret the clause the same way I do. It's supposed to be when you're more likely than not to be able to wipe out your accumulated deficit, at that point, you can take the credit. If that accumulated deficit is getting small, and this trend is not subtle. <laughs> These profits are getting bigger, right? So it would take um, an unforeseen calamity to reverse this trend, uh, Tesla's got the business model working and the flywheel is spinning up. So the profits are going to be there for them to take this benefit. I just don't know when it's going to happen. So that's what that box is about. But this is the regular reported non-GAAP earnings number. Uh, if you show this to your average Tesla Q short seller, they'll say, but what about regulatory credits? It's all regulatory credits. If you threw those out, they would be negative. Well, that's what I made this next chart for. This is exactly the same chart. I just changed the color of the bars uh, to graphically distinguish. This excludes regulatory credits up here in the title. So even if you throw them out, and it is not, it is not statistically or accounting-wise valid to do this, the, the short sellers made this metric up. Uh, Non-GAAP earnings minus regulatory credits is not a thing. 
and also you would have to tax effect the regulatory credits that you're removing because you're paying taxes on that money. Uh, so those taxes would disappear if the regulatory credits had not occurred. Um, so whenever you see a chart that they've made, they didn't make that adjustment. I likewise didn't make that adjustment here just to show, hey, it's still profitable, <laughs> guys. There's, there's still a lot of profit left over, and it's going to grow over time. Tesla does not need regulatory credits to be profitable. Uh, uh, so that's what this shows. And this is the last of the charts. I made it here already. In, in just one hour, I've made it through 18 tweets. So... Uh, Zach mentioned on the Q2 earnings call that it's fine to look at quarter over quarter changes, and that has some value, but he prefers taking a longer look at the trends. What has been happening over a long period of time in terms of the average selling prices, the revenue per vehicle, which is this mountain range in the background, the area chart, those ASPs have been coming down. They're on this uh, right-hand y-axis. Average revenue per delivery had been 90 grand, <laughs> and it is now less than 60 grand. You know, maybe, uh, maybe a little over 50. So, what you would expect ought to happen as your ASPs continue to decline is that your automotive gross margin, excluding regulatory credits, ought to be getting worse in sympathy. Um, all things being equal, these percentages should have been going down the whole time. And you see a, a little area here where they were going down some. <laughs> but look at this. They're higher over here than they were over here. Uh, Tesla's... And what this means is the cost per vehicle... Is, has gone down by more than the price per vehicle has gone down. That's the only way these percentages could be better than these percentages. So this is a, a tremendous compliment to the teams at Tesla and the hard work they do to optimize systems and processes and find cost efficiencies in the manufacturing process. The, this is not the outcome that would have been expected of a normal automaker. So really, uh, really an impressive um, business dynamic visualized here. And that takes me to the next slide. So this used to be slide two back before I had all those, all those fun uh, charts in my presentation. And it's just a little summary that shows you, hey, how many vehicles am I forecasting by type? What's the automotive revenue per delivery that I expect? And how much revenue does that make when you multiply one by the other? Uh, so you can see those numbers here. Then, and I mentioned 14.6 million in total revenue. The reason this number isn't that number is this is just the automotive revenue. It's excluding the energy business and the services and other. The next slide is showing the income statement. So ultimately, this whole thing is about getting to the income statement. Uh, 
And it's kind of all on one page. Hey, what happened with the business? How much money did we make? What uh, what were the uh, what were the payments for services rendered up top? And then how much did it cost us to make those business transactions happen? Uh, so this first section is giving you uh, the revenue breakdown by division. So I'm expecting automotive sales way up uh, over $2 billion here. Uh, leasing and resale revenue, they, they kind of cheat and give us a percentage in the production and deliveries report that we can use to feel okay about these applying some historical ideas for what the um, revenue per lease is. Make that adjustment to the revenue. Then uh, I'm expecting some increase in energy generation and storage. Hopefully we're going to do some more um, production and storage revenue there uh, and a little more services in that there. So that's how I get to my 14,597. I want to say, Rob, was it 14,594? Something like that. So spooky. When we independently arrive at numbers, that's similar. Uh, all right. We do differ uh, greatly on the automotive cost of sales. And I'll just say it now. I hope he's right and I'm wrong. <laughs> I I see a lot of cost pressures. I see a lot of headwinds. He sees a lot more volume and economies of scale levering against that. And either he'll be right or I will. Um, or or it'll, it'll be somewhere in between one of those. Uh, <laughs> yes, James, those are always the outcomes. Uh, all right, so we've got the uh, total cost of sales here at 11.4. What does that leave you with? Uh, $3.1 billion worth of gross margin, which would be a new all-time record. Uh, hooray for that to go with the all-time revenue record uh, at a little bit lower gross margin. This is lower because I think the regulatory credits and the um, automotive and energy and services are all going to wash out to that number. Then for research and development, I've got a very similar forecast here. Uh, SGNA, I've got a breakdown of later that I can walk you through how I get to this number. It's complicated. Hopefully no restructuring another. I haven't heard about any layoffs or anything. Uh, so that gets you to income uh, or loss from operations, one and a half billion-ish. Uh, and then just some other below-the-line items here, interest income, interest expense, other income. These these ought to be small, I hope, except for the interest expense. Maybe one of these quarters, Elon will just get fed up with a long-term debt and pay it all off in advance out of cash. And then we'll have a zero here. But I'm not forecasting that to happen for a while. Uh, and then here's where we put our income taxes. So the one that I'll point out here is if you're looking for where I have that favorable income tax credit, there's the first 80% of it. Um, this number would be higher by $1.6 billion if I didn't have that in here. So we would be paying a lot of taxes on these earnings starting Q4, uh, if not for that one-time item that's favorable. And... That gets you to the bottom line profit. 
So let's see what's on the next slide. This one's given us some per share info. So if you want to know what the earnings per share are, uh, you can look at share count two ways, basic or diluted. Diluted is including the shares you might have to add to pay off stock options. So those are included in here. There's also some convertible bonds uh, in that calculation as well. So these are the shares that we know are going to happen, and these are the shares that might uh, get added and dilute some. So the diluted share counts, or EPS, are going to be lower, usually, for that reason, dividing into a bigger denominator. Uh, all right, let's go... So you've got some percentages here, automotive cost of sales, leasing cost of sales, gross margin again. And then I've got the breakdown by site for each of these. So you can see for each site, for each model, how many deliveries do I think there's going to be all in one pay, uh, page on, on this one. Let's keep it moving. Uh, the other direction, the direction we haven't been already. So for slide 22 up here, uh, this starts my detailed model tab. This is a long tab. That's where I'm doing all the granular assumptions that build up to all the summary and chart info that you've seen previously. So I had a much more back-of-the-napkin approach to forecasting before I redid it this way. And my earnings forecast was not always as accurate as I hoped it would be, which I'm fine with if it's for some surprise reason that nobody knew about and it just hits. Um, that's that's fine. I, I, I don't beat myself up too much for not knowing information I would only know if I worked at Tesla which I do not. I have no insider information. I have no material non-public information. Uh, I just guess based on the research that I do on Twitter, on Tesla, on YouTube, uh, etc. So I thought, what is the best way that I could build up to production and deliveries forecasts? And the approach I landed on was, hey, let's figure out what the capacity is for each model, for each site, figure out how many weeks of production there were at that site for that model, and then figure out how efficient we think they're going to be at producing cars to the design intent of that line. So if this Model S line is capable of making a thousand Model S's per week, um, you can see, uh, uh, I probably shouldn't have double-clicked. Uh, I do this. And I do this. Does it come? Okay, good. That's snap back, back again. I'm going to try not to double-click again and mess that up. Uh, let me draw again. Got a pen. So you just kind of work your way down this list, multiplying these things by each other. So back here in 2020 Q2, our, even though our capacity was 1,000 per week, if we were only making Model S's for six weeks, 
out of those 13 because COVID shut the thing down for the other seven weeks. And we were only able to be 45% efficient uh, during the weeks that we were open. Then here's how many vehicles we could have produced. Then if you know what your beginning finished goods inventory was, and you know how many you think there are in the ending inventory from the production and deliveries report, you know, after that quarter happens, then the math on these leaves you, there must have been 5,124 deliveries. I'll undo that so you can read the numbers better. But that's just the very easy way to walk down one column doing the math. And then of these, you have to determine how many of them are subject to lease accounting so that you can figure out what the revenue was later. So I'm just repeating this process over and over again, uh, the whole way down the page and the whole way across all these columns. And in my model, this is not my last column. You can kind of see that I've grouped and uh, uh, I can hide all of the columns to the right, which are 2022, 23, 24, and 25 that aren't in the thread. Maybe one day I'll share all those granular assumptions. 69 tweets is a lot. <laughs> so maybe I'll, maybe I'll leave it at that. But that's what's happening here. So if I go over to the Q3 2021 forecast, what do we think happened? Well, there were some Model S's delivered last quarter, 1895. We know that 9,275 were delivered in Q3 because that's what the production and deliveries report said. And they're only made at Fremont. And almost none of them were Model X's. I got this 10 from uh, Troy. So he says 10 of the 9,275 were Model X. So that's how I have this math working to get there uh, and make sense. Then for Model 3 uh, from Fremont, uh, I'm assuming about the same production in order to get to the number that Troy thinks were delivered for Model 3, since those numbers are available now. Uh, for Q4, I have to guess at what I think is going to happen. So for Model S, I've got production coming up just a little bit. And I've got uh, more ending inventory happening over here to get this back to a more normal day's supply of ending inventory. This is a real low number right here, which is understandable this early in the ramp. I guess they knew where all, all of these were going. I don't expect a number this low to keep happening uh, because it doesn't represent a normal days of inventory. Uh, you, you just can't, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable forecasting a very low number for uh, days of inventory, uh, days of sales in ending inventory, which is just saying, hey, how many deliveries were there and how many cars were there in inventory and how many deliveries did we make per day on average over the quarter? And you do not use the 91 or 92 days that actually happened in that quarter. You use the industry standard 75, which I guess is supposed to account for maintenance and downtime and uh, whatever. So tips and tricks you got to know to get this math to come out right and tie out. This is a live model. Um, 
that's that's another difference between what I'm doing and what a lot of other folks are doing. When the actuals come out, everybody else has a five-minute exercise to just type over their numbers, uh, and I have to go back into the detail and figure out, okay, what detailed assumptions should I have made so that those totals would have kicked out at the bottom when you do all the math and add them all up? So it takes me a lot longer to tie out after the after each earnings report uh, because this detail isn't provided. So I have to figure out what makes sense. Uh, all right. So let me move on down uh, the page. I see people pointing at, at different numbers. Alex or Sawyer, do you have questions about the delivery subject to lease accounting? No. All right. Okay. Uh, I, I think we were just like uh, trying to follow you along because your, oh. your cursor is showing yeah. differently for us than it is for yourself. It is? Oh. Yeah, so you're red and it says James Stevenson under, and your pointer is probably just a normal mouse pointer. Yeah, well, it's a pencil right now. Uh, no, it's still a pointer. Highlighter. Yeah, the highlighter would probably work best. The when highlighter the works. All right. I'll start drawing more with the highlighter. This is my first time doing this. So. Yeah, uh, no problem. Good job, though. And so far. maybe people will be so sick of me at the end of this one that I'll just refer them to the YouTube video from now on and say, I already explained this once. Go watch the video. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so walking you through this, there's, there's Model S, there's Model X, here's Fremont Model 3. Um, hopefully the Fremont Model 3 picks up. I've got more uh, production efficiency expected soon out of them to get more deliveries, more people want Model 3s, and Tesla should be working hard to make that happen. Likewise, for the Model Ys, they are producing flat out to get these done because uh, they're quoting people ordering today, April, May, and June, I think, for delivery dates. Um, so, uh, yeah, here's my 89% assumption for what's going to happen in Q4 to get us hopefully more production, a little bit more production out of Fremont for Model Y, which ought to leave us more deliveries if the ending inventory is about the same. That's what that math is telling you. Uh, so... Shanghai. Let's uh, let's board a plane to Asia and uh, land in Shanghai. See how things are going at uh, Tesla's most cost-efficient plant. Uh, so the the year's been looking pretty good. I guess I should leave the headers on so people know which year and quarter are which. They're they're booking, <laughs> you know, making. A capacity of 57.50, I think it's going to go up some more in Q4. They're, they were on a tear uh, in Q3. These are big, big numbers, big beat, both here and here, uh, really ramping up solidly from a 32 in Q2 to a 60 almost in Q3 for Model Y. So if they can keep ramping up at that pace, Katie, bar the door. I think they're probably close to uh, nearing the uh, the point in the S curve where this slows down some. 
So that's how I'm getting to my vehicles produced. And vehicles delivered should go up some. I don't want to forecast really aggressive numbers here and then be doomed to miss high. So that's where I've got those assumptions. Uh, Shanghai Compact is here. I guess I should mention this hasn't even been announced yet. I just have a place held in my model for it for if it happens. Then Berlin Model 3, not on this timeline, uh, probably not going to happen Q4 of 2021, but I do have that coming online maybe at the end of next year. Uh, Berlin Model Y. Okay, they're, uh, as far as I know, they haven't even made one yet, and we're in this quarter. So if the production capacity of that plant is starting at 3,000, maybe on one shift, and if they can get two weeks' worth of production at 15% capacity, I'm really uh, trying to read into it as much as I can from what Elon said. He's hopeful that we'll get some delivered uh, by the end of the year. So I have set my expectations accordingly with, okay, maybe they'll get 900 Model Ys built at Berlin by December 31st and uh, deliver 600 of them to happy uh, customers with maybe another 300 left in inventory. Got a plan for something to be in the inventory. So those are those assumptions. Guaranteed to be wrong. Only question is by how much. And then here I have for the Berlin European model, there's supposed to be a design studio set up in Berlin where they make something that the European market is going to love. Uh, I think if if I had to guess something like uh, an upscale VW Golf size uh, form factor vehicle might be, you know, but, but of course with Tesla, uh, t- touches and flourishes could happen one day. So I've saved a spot for that in my Berlin section. Then we head right back to Texas, to the Lone Star State. Check in on Austin, the, looking good. Good to have the annual meeting from Austin last week. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping that they've got a capacity of 3,000 from the outset, maybe a few more weeks of production. They seem to be maybe a little ahead of uh, Berlin. If uh, they can produce at a 15% rate, which is typical with all the stops that happen on the line early in a ramp, then maybe they get 1,800 vehicles built. If 500 of those haven't made it to their buyers yet by the end of the quarter, then they'll have 1,300 deliveries in Q4 next quarter. But um, I... I don't think this number is going to be wrong by a lot. I'll either be, I'm not going to be high by more than 1300. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't think I'm going to be low by a lot. I don't think they're going to just crank out a massive number of uh, Texas model wise and really surprise me. Uh, Cybertruck needs to happen starting in 2023 is what we've heard from Elon most recently. It was not that long ago in Q1, the uh, website still said end of 2021 for Cybertruck. They were really hoping they would have the cells. They don't have the cells to make it yet. So as the 4680 production gets 
scaled up and smoothed out. Uh, I'm hopeful that some Cybertrucks will start happening, but uh, not in the next two quarters. <laughs> Same with uh, Semi. It needs lots and lots of cells. That's a thirsty uh, demand uh, spec for a vehicle if you want it to be able to tow uh, full load uh, for for that far. You're going to need probably four big battery packs, which I imagine is how they've engineered the Mega Charger to basically just be four big packs that you charge all at the same time with one cable that's really a bundle of four cables, one for each of the packs. Uh, and that leads us down to the all sites and models total. I'll leave these uh, headers up here. Uh, so I've, uh, I make these guys purple just so I can easily spot where my total uh, production and my total deliveries are. Um, now you may notice that this number 241, 420 is not exactly the same number that was reported by Tesla on the production and deliveries report, but it always comes in a little higher. There's always a few hundred more that sneak on, uh, by the time the earnings release comes out, which by the way, will be Wednesday afternoon next week. Uh, I know we're all looking forward to it, which is probably the reason half of you are here trying to get your fix on Tesla earnings before it really happens. And uh, yeah, hopefully we get a lot more production uh, in Q4, continuing this trend that we've seen, 180, 206, 237. 273 doesn't feel wrong to me. This is a little higher than uh, what I saw Troy published. I can look at his number after I publish mine. <laughs> and compare notes, see how far off I am. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've got a couple of lines here that help me tie out to the day sales ending inventory on a 75-day basis. Sorry that I've got like my working notes on here and everything. I just can't invest the time to make a, a version of this that I publish versus a working model of this that I use to make the forecast. All right, so this is 25. Let me scroll down over here and get to 26. Uh, oh, 27. I'm supposed to go to 27 now. Okay, so I've got sections in here that total up Fremont, total up Shanghai, and total up Berlin. Uh, for anybody who's curious what each of those sites are producing at this level of detail, these are my best guesses. We never find out what the actuals were for sure, uh, but these are these are what I think happened. Uh, let me move on down to slide 28. So that's the total Texas. You don't get very much on that because not much has come out of Texas yet. And this starts section two. So section one was production and deliveries. What do we think they are? How do we get to it? What's the best way to forecast it? Now we get to ask, okay, for each of those vehicles that we sell, what's the revenue that we're going to be able to collect? And that's a harder question than I thought it was when I set out to make this model. Um, and maybe I'll skip down one more slide so I can see uh, the full walk down. So Fremont Model X. These base prices change based on how Tesla prices them. So you can see 2018, 
the base price for Model X was 91 grand. They dropped that to 85. It was as low as 81, 79, 75 uh, at the end of 2021. And then it came up a little bit when they stopped delivering 2021 uh, Model Xs. Uh, to take those lines down and redo them, I think the line can now make either Model X or Model S, and that gives them the flexibility to schedule production of each of those relative to uh, whatever the demand logistics are that make sense to maximize the value of the orders people have placed and, and be really nimble. Uh, about uh, not tying up a lot of the factory's footprint with separate lines for S and X. So I've got this jumping up in Q3 to 91500 which is what you got to pay for a base X these days, and a little higher in Q4. Now, this is a jagged number because price changes don't work the way you would think they work uh, intuitively, uh, unless maybe you've got experience uh, working with pricing. When you cut prices, you have to honor the new prices, even for people who have already placed orders. So when you cut prices, the negative, the unfavorable impact hits your revenue right away. When you raise prices, assuming you have a backlog, <laughs> now the legacy automakers don't have to worry about this very much because there isn't a long backlog for any of their products. But when you're Tesla and you've got a six-month backlog trying to fill for Model 3 and Model Y, you've got a problem that when you raise prices, it's not right to make the people who already ordered their vehicle pay that higher price. That's a bait and switch. So there's time lag between when you raise prices and when you actually start getting more revenue from the people who placed orders after the price increase went into effect. So... Those prices are going up, uh, and I've got those modeled for 2022 to go higher. Um, and uh, it, it impacts Model Y and uh, Model 3 more. Uh, but there's a lot of people waiting for Model Xs as well, so there were a lot of orders in that need to get filled because so few have been delivered this year. Maybe just those 10 that were delivered in Q3 plus some of the old ones back in Q1. Uh, so what do we have to think about besides the base configuration? Now, um, well, what else are we charging for? So paint, none of the paint options are $1,325, but that is my best guess at what the weighted average mix per Model X is when you guess at the take rate for the free color versus the colors you have to pay for. So this number is the product of the, it's the sum product of the take rates and the prices for the various paints. Um, I think if you average them out, you've got about this much revenue. Uh, then for the performance package, the amount of this performance package changes based on uh, what the base configuration is. Sometimes the base configuration is... Uh, uh, higher, so there won't be as much trading up because you've already been forced to trade up into a higher option config. So an example for that would be, let me scroll down to the 
Shanghai Model Y here, these base configuration prices are higher in Q1 and Q2 than they are in Q3 and Q4 because they were only delivering long-range Model Ys here and here. And they started delivering uh, SR Model Ys made in Shanghai in Q3 and Q4. So those prices are coming down, and this is a clue, if you're looking for clues, onto why I'm not as aggressive. Uh, there are some bulls on Twitter claiming that Tesla is going to report 30% automotive gross margin, excluding regulatory credits in Q3 of 2021. And I guess I'm going to hate hearing this replay on YouTube later if I'm wrong about that. And that's exactly what happens. But I do not see any path to a number that high, uh, particularly given Tesla has never hit 28% before. Um, I, I hold out little hope that uh, a 30% could happen already. I'd love to be wrong uh, about that and see them turn in a monster number. But uh, with the cost pressures we're seeing this quarter and with changes like this where uh, ASPs are coming down, um, and, and it's flowing through all the way to the bottom line. This is the top line base, and the bottom line is also lower. E even if the costs have come down by some, they probably haven't come down by this much. So your cost of sales percentages might get worse. Uh, the other items here I haven't talked about yet. You got a option for upgraded wheels, option for different interior and seating configs. And each of these are doing the same thing I mentioned with the paint applying the sum of each option and its price and its take rate, and then getting the weighted average for that model from that site. So that gives you your cash buyer ASP after you add in the delivery options at the time of order. So full self-driving is one of those uh, options. I had been assuming too much back here, but I can't go back and change these because all my numbers are tied out from back here. We found out on this earnings call that the take rates in Shanghai are still very low on FSD. I guess they are not believers that it's going to happen anytime soon. Maybe Tesla can prove that wrong and uh, we'll see a much higher revenue per uh, full self-driving uh, order from Shanghai. Then for the least vehicles impact, you actually have to back out money for that uh, because there's a difference between total revenue per delivery and cash buyer ASP. When people lease a vehicle, they're not giving you what the cash buyer is giving you. Cash buyer hands over a cashier's check for you know the amount of the car, and Tesla takes that money uh, to cash right away a lease buyer is just going to make you payments for 36 months and give you the car back. So it's still a good deal for Tesla because they get the car back at the end of 36 months. It's going to have a high resale value because depreciation is very low on Teslas. So it's worth it for Tesla to lease vehicles, but they get more cash by selling them to cash buyers. So the preference is Let's um, let's make the cash by uh, selling them outright, but let's also offer a leasing program attractive enough to get some business here that'll get us uh, value used cars we can resell later. 
and you know come out way ahead on that transaction. Destination and delivery fee, you got to pay to have it delivered to you no matter what. Even if you go to the Fremont factory and pick it up yourself, <laughs> or I guess the Shanghai factory and pick it up yourself, still have to pay it. Uh, regulatory credits, you can see these uh, jump around quite a bit. I think the amount in China is $2,017 per vehicle. I've only recently come across that info, which is why it wasn't in Q1 and Q2. Um, but there's been some confusion on Twitter about how that works. You don't wait until the Chinese government pays you to declare like this big lump sum uh, of revenue that falls straight to bottom line earnings whenever they get around to paying you for the regulatory credits. That's not how the accrual basis accounting is supposed to work. What happens is Tesla says, even though they don't get this cash at the time of sale, they say, we're going to get that cash. Uh, so we're going to declare the revenue now. So every quarter, this regulatory credits uh, amount is reflected in the total automotive revenue. And then later when the cash comes, the cash goes onto the balance sheet and it relieves um, uh, a revenue, a receivable. So when you hear people complaining about accounts receivable, hey, why does Tesla have such a big accounts receivable? Well, one of the reasons is this. Um, there's a long lag time between when you earn regulatory credits in China and when they pay you uh, for them. And during that interim, you just build up uh, uh, an accounts receivable balance for it. I'm not an accountant, but I have to dip my toe in enough to understand how this stuff works and make a good forecast. Uh, so I also have a line here, revenue for this model, just to help me get a, a feel for the scale of how much revenue is this model going to make, because I don't have the uh, volumes here to add context to the revenue per vehicle. Uh, yeah, so this is this is one of the big uh, pieces that's making my automotive uh, gross margin number a little lower, is I expect for these prices to come down at the same time that the costs, which we'll see later, aren't going to get a lot better in, in the current environment. All right, so this was slide 30, so I can go to 31, no, 32, there we go. Uh, that's got nothing on it, so we'll skip one of these, pick up the pace a little bit. Uh, Berlin Model Y, here's my starting assumptions for what that ASP is going to look like. Um, 34. There's the Texas Model Y. So you can see what I think we're going to be getting for those. Um, not a lot of new information to talk about there. And then I total up what these ASPs are uh, for all sites and models. It's a weighted average number here. And then I've got it by Fremont, sorry, uh, by Fremont, by Shanghai, by Berlin by Texas, and then that gets me to this total revenue section. So how much revenue are we talking about? Most of the revenue is regular sales to cash buyers. Smaller amounts of revenue come in 
for uh, leasing revenue. And these numbers get tied out to numbers that Tesla does report. So I know these are right. And then this is the combined total of these two sections above. How much total automotive revenue was there? Uh, I went the wrong way. Okay. And the uh, rounding out the revenue, we've got uh, some statistics down here. Uh, uh, just wondering, James, if you could uh, maybe call out which tweet you're at and actually point at it, because I lost your pointer. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, so... I was on 38. I'm now on 39. Thank you, Alex. So I'll I'll okay. underline up here. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Total perfect. Tesla automotive leasing and revenue uh, by model is this section here. I've got a revenue check figure here to make sure none of my no gremlins have uh, crawled in and chewed on the wires of my spreadsheet. Uh, and then right below that, I start thinking about the energy business. So solar deployed, so, uh, megawatts, uh, storage deployed megawatt hours, solar revenue per watt, storage revenue per watt hour are some stats that we get in the earnings release. So I figured I would put them here too and help to inform and uh, act as a reasonableness check against what I'm assuming for the revenues here. So I've got these guys in yellow to remind me that when I come back to tie out Q3, these are the cells that I'm going to need to change to get the total energy revenue to tie. Um, so really forecasting these is about guessing how much growth we think is possible uh, for these future quarters. Um, it's, it's kind of a guessing game. And then for, for these metrics, the revenue per metrics, uh, shouldn't these be decreasing over time? Well, they were kind of increasing for a bit, and they have kind of been decreasing some now. You, you never really know what you're going to get with this number, so... Uh, I'm hopeful that there will be further cost decreases uh, or, or the, the revenue per watt ought to go down as uh, as this gets made more affordable for uh, for customers. We're still on revenue here. And then I've got by product over here. Okay, what does the energy division sell? Well, they sell solar panels, they sell solar roofs, and those are what production is when you talk about the uh, solar deployed. Then the rest of these guys are boxes of batteries, power wall, uh, if you like the small size, power pack, if you like the medium, and mega pack, if you like the grande, venti, whatever Starbucks says the big one is. Uh, it's just a whole container truck full of batteries that you would buy if you were a uh, Utility, a major utility, trying to back up your grid and uh, make sure it's resilient to power outages. And there's some junk that always hits as other, uh, which is always pretty small. 
So uh, $801 million hit in Q2. I've got that going up to almost a billion in Q3 and then 1.3 in Q4. I hope these numbers come in. Uh, we'll see how it goes. We get promised that the energy business is going to grow all the time. It has been growing if you look at these numbers. Uh, Q1 is seasonally low, which is why you see this one down. Not a lot of folks uh, want to have people on their roof in the dead of winter. Uh, so I think that's the reason that we see some seasonality there. And the total revenue. So we're back to my uh, $14,597,000,000 here. And we know we've got the right revenue number going. All right, so uh, well, I guess I should talk about regulatory credit revenue. This is where we see the net growth rate. Uh, is, is this going up a lot or is it coming down a lot? It has come up a lot in the past. Um, and I'm expecting that it's going to keep going down because that's the guidance that Zach has given. That's what these decreases are. Um, trying to get that revenue down for the locations that aren't China. For China, we kind of know what we're going to get uh, because it's being declared as the vehicles are being delivered, but it's more of a guessing game for the other regulatory credits. Uh, so that's the end of the revenue section. Uh, there, there was a Fiat Chrysler agreement that I had to pencil in up here as well to make sure I didn't overcount the uh, amount of money they were going to pay. So uh, that's revenue. Uh, what do you do after revenue? You do cost of sales. Figure out, hey, how much is it going to cost us to make each one of these models? Uh, Fremont Model S had been costing a lot uh, and then over the years it came down and down and down. So by the time you get to 2018, um, the base amount of cost per Model S was pretty good, and the bottom line number also pretty good. Um, so towards the end of 2020, the production came way down. The costs get worse the less you make. The costs get better the more you make. That's uh, economies of scale for you. So uh, these costs are high. For Q2 and Q3, we're not very many. Model S's were being made or delivered, and I'm hoping that comes down in Q4 as the uh, as that ramp ought to be over now for the Plaid Model S's. So this is still a lot of money left over at what what Tesla's charging for those. Uh, Model X, I've got a pretty insane number right here. Uh, James Dauma asked me about this one on Twitter yesterday. Hey, are you out of your mind? The cost cannot be two hundred fifty nine thousand dollars per Fremont Model X. And under normal circumstances, he would be right, of course. But uh, I mentioned up top, according to Troy, there were only 10 of them delivered. And you can't keep uh, an automotive production line running for very long uh, without uh, ramping up to at least this much cost for that tiny amount of vehicles. So that's what's doing that. Hopefully that number will come down and down and down into the future and we'll see really good profit margins on those refresh Model Xs. Uh, Fremont Model 3, these are great. Uh, costs are uh, low and improving for Model 3 over time. 
and um, uh, so the the cost I've got a hundred bucks worth of cost in here for full self driving because it's not nothing, uh, <laughs> but it, it's it's a small number compared to what we charge uh, for full self driving, right? Uh, and then, yeah, the amount of the performance package kind of depends on which packages are being offered over time. And Model Y, uh, early on in the ramp, you expect a high cost because you have low volume being produced and delivered. But those costs should come down uh, over time, maybe with some cost pressures here in Q3 and Q4. Now, maybe I'm being too conservative on these um, hopefully I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm thinking lower performance packages for Model Y as they've made uh, a whole bunch of those. Maybe that'll be less of a, uh, component in the mix and those costs will, uh, come down some. I do have the costs growing here for the base configuration. Trucking is having shortages right now and you have to truck these across country from Fremont. So maybe some of those cost pressures are going to materialize. Maybe they won't. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do better than this. Uh, so that was slide 40. No, it was slide 41. I just can't figure out. I guess these are below the slide. They uh, animate. Okay, so I'll head up to slide 42. And we'll look at the Roadster, Shanghai Model 3. Um, we can see that uh, it was very expensive to make early on, uh, losing money for sure, uh, when hardly any of them were being made, but those costs continue to come down. It's a lot cheaper to make vehicles in China than it is to make vehicles in California, which was one of the major business imperatives for getting a Gigafactory in China first. That's where you wanna do your expansion what a coup it was for Tesla to land a wholly owned auto plant in China after so many predecessors got a 50-50 joint venture with the Chinese government. Really underscores the faith the Chinese government has in Tesla and their support for what Tesla is doing. And they also, you know, loaned Tesla the money to build that factory, which has an incredibly high ROI with uh, how profitable these are when you compare what what Tesla charges for them to how much they cost to make once they have ramped up. So I've got Model Ys here. You can see what I'm expecting here for costs. Um, so here's a good example of, hey, the, the high-end packages were all they were selling in Q1 and Q2, so there wasn't much long-range or performance package buy-up to be done. Um, now that lower cost models are available, maybe we've got more trade up into performance packages on uh, standard range uh, vehicles, model Y. So we'll see if that materializes. Maybe I'll have gone too conservative on it and maybe Tesla will beat my forecast. Uh, Berlin. Uh, not a lot to talk about here. Costs will be high when they first start making them, if they can get any out in Q4. 
Uh, same thing with Texas. They're only going to be able to produce this one model if they can get any out the door at all. So high costs expected there. But over time, these costs ought to drop below what it costs to make uh, Model Y at Fremont. Uh, one, because they'll have front and rear castings. Another, because once they've got the 4680s figured out, those will be lower cost battery packs. Um, so uh, those will be money makers before very long. And Cybertruck and Semi will come later. We've mentioned already. And I've been scrolling instead of hitting my button. So 46 is this one. I'm going to go to slide 47, which shows the total costs. You can see how much money we're talking about. Billions and billions of dollars worth of cost required to buy all the materials and the parts and assemble them all together and pay the people who did the work. So uh, big money there. And if we look down to slide 48, this will give us the rest of the costs for the energy division, solar panels, solar roof, power wall. Um, these are costly. The percentages are high uh, on these, which uh, we'll see a little bit later on when we get to it. Um, Zach did note that the Q2 uh, Model S uh, lost money, uh, you know, or, or was a break-even proposition, something like that. Um, so uh, once you have cost of sales, sorry, I'm going to jump back up for a second. Once you have cost of sales, your gross margin is just the revenue minus those cost of sales. And you can see what the gross margin percentages are right below that. So looking back historically, you can see these these gross margins are not similar to uh, to this number. <laughs> 24 is a lot better than what we've uh, averaged in the past. So uh, I'm not expecting that to keep getting better right away, given the cost environment that we're in. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I'll talk about the Fremont Model S here again. You know, these total costs of sales per delivery ought to get better. This next section is just taking the cost divided by the revenue that tells you how many pennies you're spending on every dollar that you charge someone to buy the deliveries from you. Um, so uh, we'll see better and better Model S uh, as that ramps up. Uh, Model X, we got the same story here, wacky numbers at the bottom line uh, and at the top line for these first couple of quarters when we're still at low volume and trying to work out all the kinks, trying to make sure the line keeps running, stoppage time, the, you're still paying for the labor even if the line isn't moving, right? So you got a lot of considerations that add up to uh, you don't want to be aggressive right out of the gate on how much money these are going to make. Uh, Fremont Model 3, these are looking pretty good. I've got this pretty steady from Q2 to Q3 and then getting better in Q4 as maybe all this sourcing and logistics stuff will get uh, worked out on the trucking side anyway for domestic deliveries. 
um, which, okay, so now I'm on slide 50 where Fremont Model Y is. So uh, at the bottom line, hopeful that this stays about the same in Q3 and Q4 as what we got in Q2, uh, or perhaps a little higher this quarter. Um, it's hard trying to think of what to say on all of these. Uh, let me go back to 51. So slide 51 has the Shanghai Model 3 and the Shanghai Model Y cost of sales percentages on it. So uh, they're, they're shipping a lot to Europe and shipping to Europe costs you money because you have to pay more for those row rows, which are at a premium right now. Uh, again, insanely high cost pressures right now on over the ocean shipping, but they don't have a better option. Uh, I don't think the Orient Express uh, makes it from Shanghai to uh, Central Europe. Uh, so if you can't send it by rail, you got to send it by ship. And there have been a lot of problems with that lately. So maybe a little bit higher this quarter and next quarter uh, as that situation tries to unwind. Uh, and uh, same situation for the Shanghai Model Y here. Let's go to 52. So on slide 52, maybe I'll move that to the top so I know where I am. We've got the Shanghai Compact and the Berlin Model 3, and it's all dashes. So we'll keep going to model to uh, slide 53. All we have here is the first quarter Model Y comes in. It's going to be a money loser at volumes that low. Uh, for slide 54, we've got the Texas Model Y, Giga Texas. The only numbers on here are just indicating, hey, the costs are going to be high because you got to pay a lot of people to come in and work this line, even though it's going to be moving at a slow speed and taking frequent breaks. <laughs> the line does not move quickly because there's all kinds of problems that need to be ironed out, whether those are, you know, automation or... Uh, uh, what have you. I don't want to pretend to be a, an expert. Uh, I'm going to skip down to the cost of sales percentages by model. So you can see that header is on slide 55. And then that that that's row 1091 of the spreadsheet. But on the very next page, I, I had to cut that off and make the first row 1092 so that I could fit the automotive gross margin at the bottom of the page. I want these slides to fit uh, on onto a PowerPoint. I actually make it in Excel. I move everything to PowerPoint. I create PNGs out of it, which are Twitter friendly. And then I make tweets for each one of them and attach them one at a time. That's how the process works. Now you're, you're behind the scenes on how the magic works. Uh, so these are just showing you at a glance for each model what these cost of sales percentages are doing over time. And if you could see 2022, 23, and 24, you would see that these are expected to get better as time goes by, those cost pressures ease up, and efficiencies are gained.
that was the bottom of the page, right? So I'll go to slide 57 next. Uh, slide 57 is showing us the cost of sales percentages for the energy division. Energy division loses money sometimes, <laughs> like you can see uh, in Q3, Q4, Q1 of uh, 2020 going into 2021. These were not good, uh, Tesla energy cost of sales percentages. And they're part of the reason that we got a price increase on the uh, solar uh, production. Because it's not a good idea to run a, even a, a subunit of a business at a loss for that long if you've got an alternative. And the alternative is raise the price. And uh, even if you have to sacrifice some volume, at least you'll be making some money and uh, buying yourself some time on them. But uh, my forecast has these getting a little better uh, in Q3 and Q4, uh, as hopefully the, the new prices are working out better. Then for services and other cost of sales, you know, service uh, supercharging, Tesla does not overcharge for that stuff. So this is a break-even business or maybe a little worse than that. And that gives you the total cost of sales and the total gross margin, which we saw before. So that's it. The, uh, you've made it to the bottom of the granular assumptions section of my detailed model tab, which takes us to the income statement. Now we saw an income statement summary earlier in the deck, and it had all these same numbers on it, but they were coming from here. This is where I do all the adding up of everything above it. So the 1,100 rows above this, we're just figuring out the revenues and the cost of sales and the gross margin. So these numbers here are the product of all the detailed assumptions being made up high. Uh, I just really felt strongly about doing it the right way and building up to it. So, uh, yeah, here's the, here's the revenue I'm expecting. Let's hope that comes in for Q4. Should be strong growth on top of that, uh, strong delivery growth. Uh, it does wonders for P&Ls. The more you sell, the more you make. <laughs> Sorry to break it to you, short sellers. That's always the way it's worked. Uh, they, if they had just studied some economics and understood... Uh, scale economies, they would have not made their mistake. Uh, oh, well. Uh, so, yeah, there's your gross margin, over $3 billion, uh, maybe close to $4 billion in Q4. We'll see how that goes. I am going to revise this forecast after I read the 10Q uh, actuals for Q3, and, uh, and that'll be my two for this quarter. Every quarter I publish two updates to my forecast. Uh, once after the production and delivery reports and once after I've had time to absorb the 10Q and update this model and make assumptions about how it's going to change going forward based on the new guidance. So uh, all the rest of these we talked about when we saw the earlier income statement, including these shares and uh, earnings per share numbers. So I will move on from 58 
to 59. Man, we're getting close to 69, aren't we? So there's a lot of fun stuff here. And uh, this is um, uh, a couple of different things. If you look here at row 1203, I've got a Tesla stock price forecast. Now, why do I put that in here? I have to. I don't have an option. This is needed uh, to figure out what the market cap is, to figure out whether Elon has made the, it has hurdled all the bars for his stock compensation plan. So I've got a bunch of calculations in here that are related to that. Um, I've got a trailing six month average stock price. Well, I should say I'm, I'm calling my stock price forecast 40 times the next 12 months adjusted EBITDA. Now, not everybody likes this, but it's true. Stock prices are based on future expectations, not past performance. There is no lifetime achievement award in stock prices. Uh, stocks are valued at the present value of all future cash flows discounted back. So what people ought to be doing when they decide whether to buy a stock or not is to forecast what they think the future cash flows, the future earnings for that uh, company are going to be, and then decide what the right price is to match. Um, so these numbers aren't all that far, uh, if you look at each of them every quarter, from where Tesla's stock price has been. Now, in 2019, uh, <laughs> they were way off. So you see a 200 here in Q2 2019. You may remember that this, the Tesla stock price was below 180 uh, back then, pre-split, so that's $45. So this is about as disconnected as this methodology got. Uh, and I was buying shares and call options back here. Uh, that was a smart time to invest in Tesla for those of you who did. Uh, you made the right decision for the short sellers who bought $50 puts. They lost all of that money for sure. Um, but uh, as you can see, it's it's really kind of catching up to where we are today. Uh, Q4, we're not that far from $877 right now. And last quarter, we weren't that far from $740. And the quarter before that, $619 wasn't that bad, I guess. Uh, and I'll talk about Stevenson Indicator later. A few people wanted me to mention that funny technical analysis. Uh, metric that I tweet sometimes. So the, the trailing six-month average stock price I use to get the trailing six-month market capitalization, which I feed into my model that tells me how many of the uh, stock options Elon has earned and how close he is to achieving the ones he hasn't gotten to yet. We're past $650 billion now worth of market cap and have been for... for uh, six months, including the last 30 days. So those are all marked off the list, I believe. Uh, at this point, he still has the milestones for revenue and adjusted EBITDA uh, left to earn for a few of them. He, he, you, you can't get the options vested without doing both, the market cap and um, pairing it with one of the revenue or adjusted EBITDA goals. So I've got those uh, market caps here. So you can see once it gets to 650, it's done. 
once that number has been achieved, it has been achieved. Then, uh, but if you wanted to know when he passed these other ones, there they are. Quarterly annualized adjusted EBITDA is another number I need for that calculation. Uh, so how many of these have been achieved? Um, I'm thinking eight uh, this quarter, 10 next quarter. So he's just mowing down these adjusted EBITDA goals if my forecast is decent. Then the uh, quarterly annualized revenue is another one. And 20 was achieved very quickly uh, before the end of the first year. This plan went into effect uh, a few days before the end of Q1 2018. And 35 is already in the rearview mirror. 55 will be real soon. And uh, he'll keep going on those. You only have to make 12 out of the 16 to vest all 12 tranches. That's what the CEO bonus plan uh, achieved is doing. Um, so we're keeping up with the milestone goals achieved. And uh, cumulative CEO bonus shares issued. I say issued as they vest. So those are available to be purchased. Elon hasn't purchased any of the ones under his 2018 plan yet. He'll probably purchase the ones under the 2012 agreement first that he still hasn't exercised. He earned them a long time ago and uh, just has to exercise them and then pay taxes on them. Uh, Bradford Ferguson did an excellent video with Dave Lee earlier this week on that topic, if you would like to watch that um, on YouTube, uh, to find out how much of that Uncle Sam is going to make. And I'll go ahead and give you a spoiler alert and say Uncle Sam is helping himself to more than half of the options Elon earned through his uh, hard work. So uh, you can share that information with the next person who says billionaires don't pay their fair share of taxes. Uh, so I've got some other uh, numbers here that match with what Tesla reports about the goals that are probable and unrecognized or not probable and unrecognized. And then I've got the CEO stock compensation expense as declared in the earnings. This is a non-cash expense. This is purely an accounting convention. It's a requirement of GAAP that as progress is made towards earning these options, you have to say uh, that expense occurred as though you had really had to pay money to your CEO uh, along the way, which did not really happen. So the Wall Street analysts will back this out, knowing that it didn't really happen. Um, and he's not the only one who makes stock compensation. Everybody else at Tesla uh, earns stock compensation as well, uh, down to the line workers. Everybody's entitled, uh, I think, after a year of service to earn stock options that are valuable. And then there is non-stock SG&A expense. This is like the corporate headquarters and the people who do not work at a factory location uh, involved in the process of making cars. So if you work in, um, you know, uh, marketing or sales or finance or some other corporate role, that's where all the expenses related to those positions are. 
and that gives you your total SGNA. There's also stock compensation under cost of revenues, which is those uh, line workers, uh, research and development uh, employees are in stock comp, and restructuring and other is payouts if you lay people off who were owed stock options already. So that gives you the total stock comp, and that uh, adds up to non-GAAP earnings, which I've done two different ways to make sure I did it right. So that was slide 59. I'll move on to 60, which is the next one down. So we've got our non-GAAP earnings here, um, which you can see as a percent of revenue, if you like that number. These are good. I mean, the... These numbers don't look all that impressive, but they're getting better. And in the auto industry, uh, that's kind of a wacky number because the uh, Q4 uh, deferred tax benefit. But uh, these are good numbers. In the auto sales business, you don't find a lot of automakers that are doing uh, double-digit uh, earnings on this line. So you got non-GAAP earnings per share here. Here's my $1.55 again. Um, a lot of people think that uh, Tesla's going to report a better number than this, and I hope they're right. Uh, so the peg over here is talking about the numbers you need to figure out what the uh, P-E ratio, peg ratio is. So there's a difference between P-E um, ratio and peg ratio. What, what's PE for? A lot of people use it for comparing companies and saying, is this one overvalued relative to that one? Or is this company overvalued relative to um, uh, where, where we think they ought to be for their industry? That sort of thing. But that's not the way that you should think about a company that's growing earnings rapidly because uh, there's a huge difference between the future earnings uh, potential of a fast-growing company versus a mature company. So when you see somebody say Tesla has a high P.E. ratio, well, yeah, Tesla has a high P.E. ratio. Check this one out. Uh, <laughs> uh, 69,394. Uh, was the earnings growth rate because we just passed zero, right? So in in the prior year, the earnings were zero dollars and zero cents. <laughs> and if you grow that to a dollar eighty four, you get an enormous percentage, right? And in the following quarter, ten thousand three sixty nine. Well, yeah, if the prior year. Uh, next 12 months non-GAAP EPS is going to be uh, $0.02, cents. then this year's number over last year's number is going to give you something crazy, right? Uh, at the point at which you pass from losses to profits, you have very low profits, and that's going to distort that, uh, that P-E ratio. That makes sense, hopefully. So... Uh, Yes, the P.E. ratio can be bonkers high for a little bit, but it gets lower quickly as you earn more and and things start to normalize some. Uh, 
what do I want to say next? Oh, I, I've got Peter Lynch over here. Peter Lynch was a very successful uh, investor. He had the Magellan Fund for 30 years that returned, a, you know, a better uh, annual uh, rate of return than anybody else's uh, fund ever has. And he did it by investing in companies that had big earnings growth. And he used PEG as his metric, PEG ratio. So you take uh, the price and the earnings, and then you set them relative to the earnings growth expected by the company, right? Uh, and his his rule was those ought to be the same, the earnings growth and the PEG or, or the PE ratio are allowed to be equal. So a PEG ratio um, ought to be um, a, a better way of figuring out whether a stock is a buy or not based on its earnings growth rate. Uh, so that's what these guys are doing. And it's it's not a perfect way of looking at it. Some of these uh, price targets were a little lower uh, than you would expect, but they're they're climbing. They're on their way towards where we are today. Make you feel like the stock price isn't totally nuts. Then for a uh, 12-month price target, historic peg ratio adjusted. I've got just one other way of thinking about what the uh, what what a, another take at a stock price valuation could be. So I don't have one stock price target in here, but um, <laughs> uh, Sawyer wants me to talk about Stevenson indicator. Here it is. So I I just added this to the model recently, and a few people asked me to talk about it. So in uh, uh, let me see here. Yeah. Uh, maybe I've got this. Yeah, okay. So there's my 728 in Q3. And this was the low. This was the, the COVID low. That's right. Okay, so the lowest the Tesla stock has traded at since 2019 was in Q1 of 2020. It was in March. And the stock really tanked from a, a huge run that it made in Q4 because people were panicked and there was a toilet paper shortage and blah, 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 blah. The world is on fire. And the stock really tanked down to, I think, like $72 on March 18th in this quarter. Well, if you take that low and you add $1.69 to it for every trading day since, these are the numbers that you get. And I charted that and I tweeted it out. And uh, my friend Fresh Jiva, uh, Mayor Faker, deemed it or dubbed it Stevenson Indicator TM, uh, trademark James Stevenson, 2021. So... If you compare what the actual stock prices were versus these stock prices, they got a little bit higher here in Q1 2021. But most of the time, they've been very small variances. So this is technical analysis, which you know is garbage, 
technical analysis is astrology for men uh, or my other uh, uh, my other expression I'm fond of using is technical analysis is phrenology uh, just because I love the word phrenology and not enough people know what it means that is the pseudoscience of explaining people's personalities to them based on the shape of their heads and the bumps that they find on it. Uh, that's what looking at a stock chart is and deciding that you know what's going to happen next. Well, the stock market is not a past predicated event, but I do find it fun to occasionally t- uh, tweet out this chart and say, hey, folks, you know, the stock goes up, the stock goes down. But in the grand scheme of things, it's been going up $1.69 per trading day for about two years now. So this is a good stock to own, or it has been over this long period of time. It's easy to fret when the stock is down some, but it's been up a lot more than it's been down. All right. Uh, I've got a, a reconciliation here between gap net income and adjusted EBITDA. That's in the earnings release, so I wanted to put it here, too. I've got uh, automotive gross uh, margin shown down here and automotive gross margin excluding regulatory credits. Uh, these were great in Q2. Um, maybe they'll be even greater next quarter, but I feel like we've gotten enough warnings about the ship shortage and the chip shortage and the uh, uh, expedite fees the, all, all of these hints I keep hearing, you know, about how difficult this year has been from Elon make me think that we're going to see a little reversal here. Um, and also some of the other factors that I mentioned earlier with uh, price changes and uh, different options uh, availability. But we don't have long to wait. Wednesday next week, we'll know what these were. And I've repeated down here my uh, vehicle production and deliveries. So that was slide 60. I'll move to slide 61. Uh, This is just giving you the revenue in total by type. So uh, if you were curious what the average averages are for all the sites and all the models combined, those are here. And I've got the same for the cost of sales. This might be useful for some analytical purpose. And I will hastily move on to slide 62, where we've got the cost of sales percentages by by type. Again, that's just the math taking the costs above by the revenue above them. And I've got the Tesla deliveries by site and model here, which we saw early in the deck. This is where I'm calculating those. I'll move on to slide 63, which we've got uh, the full page look at that partial page we had above, which gives it to you both ways. You can see model three and model Y combined for all sites at the bottom of the page or broken out by site uh, at the top of the page. Just as a little reference for anybody who wants one. Um, Then slide 64 is giving us the automotive revenue uh, by model and the automotive revenue per delivery by type. So these are giving you revenue per vehicle. Again, the, the, there is a, a nuanced difference between ASP and revenue per delivery. That cash buyer ASP kind of in the middle here, this is ASP 
then you've got to make these adjustments for stuff that isn't what the cash buyer paid for their car. So uh, a leased vehicle buyer didn't pay this. And the destination and delivery fee is not really part of the cost of sales of the, the car. It's part of the transport and freight and uh, a little more profit for Tesla. And you got regulatory credits, which were not purchased by this buyer. They were purchased by a company that was negligent in their responsibility to produce enough EVs to comply with applicable law. And you've got uh, FSD deferrals, OTA updates, data plans, a lot of other random automotive revenue stuff hitting in here. Now, why are these negative numbers over here and positive numbers over here? It's because Tesla used to have to declare more deferred revenue because they hadn't rolled out enough features yet back here. Like Navigate and Autopilot wasn't out yet. Uh, Smart Summon wasn't out yet, right? So the rule is you can take the cash from the buyer when you sell them the car for the full self-driving, but you're only allowed to declare enough revenue to match the percentage of the features that that uh, was sold to them with. So people bought FSD expecting a bunch of different features and Tesla has only delivered a fraction of those features so far. So you have to make this reversal um, before you can get to the revenue number. And this is an unearned revenue liability on the balance sheet until Tesla earns it by releasing the features. So when everybody has um, uh, single stack city streets and everything, uh, there will be no more uh, deferred revenue. Uh, Tesla can take all of it uh, at once. But over time, this number is flipping to positive as Tesla introduces more things like OTA upgrades and there's very few of these features of FSD that aren't released as a percentage. That's what's going on there. Uh, so full self-driving sales plus other revenues or deferrals. Trying to think what people would care about. <laughs> gap earnings per delivery, non-gap earnings per delivery. These are good to put on a chart and show people that the trend is up. So many Tesla trends are up. Uh, adjusted EBITDA per delivery is really taking off and will continue to do so in the years to come. Uh, let's move down to 65. So on tweet 65, we've got some 12 trailing month numbers. You guys know how much I love 12 trailing months. So for here, you can see what the deliveries are doing. Revenue, adjusted EBITDA, uh, non-gap earnings. And then this was where I had to calculate the Gordon Johnson metric. The If you just subtract regulatory credit revenue from the earnings, what do you get? Well, you used to get a loss and now you get profits. He'll, he'll probably still lie to you and tell you that there are no profits, but don't believe him. He's not right very often. And then we get to the revenue uh, by division. So we've got that here and the costs by type. I kind of grouped these a little differently. They might look the same, but I needed these to make those 
same size statement charts where you do the average dollar of revenue. So I included those in case you know uh, you wanted to know where they come from or how I calculated them. Then on slide 66, you see those pennies. I got to use the penny sign, which is an underloved key on your keyboard. Hardly anybody cares about pennies these days. And on slide 67, I've got the reconciliation of the non-GAAP OPEX to the GAAP OPEX uh, to the income statements. So I was mentioning on the very first slide, all the way at the top of the thread, that I'm combining a bunch of different stuff. Well, this is the bunch of different stuff that got combined in together. I'm just showing the math that reconciles it back and says, hey, there's a bunch of different stuff going on here, interest expense, other income, uh, et cetera, are required to reconcile it back to the number that was reported as operating expense. And we are really near the end now. Uh, slide 68, we've got a slide here for uh, Elon's bonus. And uh, this is complicated stuff uh, that I will launch into. Uh, it's a smart uh, compensation plan to give a CEO because it aligns the interests of management with the interests of the stock owners. Um, you want your CEO to run your company's market cap higher, but you also want your revenue to grow and you also want your profits to grow. So uh, if your CEO is willing to work for a zero salary, zero cash bonus guaranteed compensation plan where they don't get paid at all for their work unless they make those things happen, uh, that's a good deal. And that's why I, uh, I signed up for this performance award package. Plus, I don't care if Elon owns more shares, he holds them. It's, it's almost like it's not diluting the float. He's, uh, he's not going to sell except maybe to pay his taxes. Um, and what do you care about dilution if the market cap has grown from $50 billion where it was before the plan started uh, to $650 billion? Well, gee, you've made a 13x on your investment if you were invested that whole time. 12% uh, dilution is a small price to pay for those kinds of returns. Those are not easy to get. Uh, so these are the terms of the contract that I just typed in over here. And then, that yeah, the deal is for each tranche Elon earns, he has the right to purchase 1,688,670 shares at a price of 350 per share. This was the price at the time pre-split, um, which would make uh, $7.1 billion uh, if all 12 tranches of the options are granted uh, worth of money Elon will pay Tesla to buy uh, all the shares. Yeah, so as many as 20 million shares, 20.264 million I have over here um, was the pre-split amount. You got to multiply this by five, so it'll be 100 million shares uh, that Elon will get to own, well, at least momentarily before he has to give 
before he has to sell more than half of them and give them to the federal government unless he wants to take out a loan for $7.1 billion, the interest payments on which are eye-watering, to say the least. All right, so that's just the laying the ground for, hey, what is this plan? The next section down is looking at, okay, what are the probable milestone start dates, probable milestone achievement dates, um, market cap achievement dates, average years uh, between becoming probable and being achieved. Um, you have to do all this stuff before you know what the expense is going to be. And on my next slide, slide 69, uh, I'm typing in what Tesla reports in terms of what they have expensed, uh, which is on this row here. Started out small and got really big in the middle of 2020 uh, and start of 2021. It's got to get smaller now. So it's a very lumpy and weird expense to have to forecast, but this is how I do it. And then for every pairing of, uh, in this section down here, for every pairing of EBITDA goals, and for the first four pairings of revenue, I'm showing here how much expense uh, was declared in each of these quarters. Um, when a when a milestone becomes probable, you take extra expense in that quarter to catch you up for all the quarters you've missed between plan inception and when you declared it probable. And if it gets achieved early, uh, as it did over here, then you have to uh, pay whatever is left that you thought wouldn't have been probable until later. So that's how these worked etc. And this one, you can see it's a very lumpy business and you don't know when probable is going to happen. So you, it's very easy to get surprised by the expense number. No matter how diligent a job you do, trying to forecast it as well as you can. And slide 70 is the last of it. These are math that I have to do to make the logic above work automatically when I drop in the new dates. Uh, and you have made it to the end. The end. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a drink of water. That was a lot of talking. Yeah, that was amazing. Thanks a lot, Jay. Yeah, super Thank you. Yes. So no questions? Anybody? <laughs> oh, we have a caller. Jared, do you want to unmute? I think Jared's been stuck there maybe a while. Yeah, about an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this room has been going on for two hours and 30 minutes. But you did better than on Clubhouse. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the visual aids actually helped a lot. Yeah. To, yeah, to no, not absolutely. have to uh, paint a picture of everything, right? Yeah, exactly. And which line you're you're referring to? I think that was a great help. We'll see how it com combines like the audio and the video. Ho hopefully, it will do well, and that both you and Sawyer have a, have a version, and we'll pick the the best one. <laughs> yeah. So, James, I actually have one question for you, but I I think you probably have already answered it, but I'm going to ask it 
anyway. All right. So back in August, in August for the Q2 earnings, you predicted uh, 244,000 deliveries for Q4 versus the 268 <laughs> um, that you predicted now, which is like a 10% increase. Yeah. But while you did that, like the the Q4 non-GAAP EPS only went from $299 to $3. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's an interesting question. I don't have an, uh, an answer prepared for it. I'll say on the deliveries, probably it was just China ramping faster than I thought they would. It's real hard to guess correctly in advance how the S-curve of the ramp is going to work. Um, and with Tesla, we have some historicals that we can look at and say, well, the last time they ramped a vehicle, it worked like this. But each new model is a special and unique snowflake. Uh, so um, I, I try not to uh, get too aggressive on them. And I guess uh, China's going gangbusters on it. So that explains the deliveries piece. The earnings piece, yeah. uh, well, the, the earnings per share piece, the, the share count probably isn't it. So that, that makes it the earnings. Earnings are just the result of everything above. It's what you get when you take all the revenues and subtract all the sales from all the various places. So the, the best I can do for that is a waterfall chart. Uh, so I made one of these and tweeted it out for uh, those who follow me on Twitter uh, that compares, actually the first one that I tweeted was wrong because I forgot to update the labels under the bar on the left and the bar on the right. Uh, <laughs> I, I was trying to work too fast and forgot to update those labels before I hit, hit send. So uh, I added to that thread with the corrected chart that tells you what those bars are. Um, the waterfall chart walks you from, okay, Q2, we know what the actuals were. Q3, I know what my forecast is. For every revenue or expense item in between, how different are they? How different did they get? And I'm taking the revenue way up. Uh, so that's good for your earnings, of course. But I'm taking the cost of sales way up with it, right? In sympathy. So when you do that, the gross margin doesn't get all that much better. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got the SG&A going up. Uh, Tesla's been doing a ton of hiring this year, so many more headcount. Uh, and they're not all working in the factory where their labor will get recorded as cost of sales. So um, they've, they've got a staff offices in Berlin and uh, Austin and, you know, open service centers and uh, take care of superchargers. There's a lot of work to do. Um, so... That's the reason why my earnings for Q3 aren't expected to be a whole lot more. And I suspect that's the same dynamic at play with Q4, but I haven't done the waterfall chart to be positive. Is that, is that helpful? Awesome. Sure. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Great so question. Much. So let's see. We have Noor as a caller. You're up. Unmute your mic. Hi, guys. I don't know if you can hear me. Yes, okay. we can. Uh, thank you guys for everything. And I'm sorry, I couldn't hear all of it. I just came back from work. So I just heard the last maybe five or ten minutes. Um, I just, I was just like, um, 
have a question. So <clears throat> I wonder if it's not only one question, probably it's a couple. The first one, uh, we all see the cyber truck. You can't just choose which one you want anymore. You just pay the hundred dollars now and you just wait. So for whoever, you know, choose the cyber truck, let's say I want to, I want to buy the $50,000 one. I choose this one before and I paid the hundred dollars. So does that mean I'm going to be stuck with the $50,000 and everyone after that might pay more? Well, I'll, or, I'll jump in and, and try to tackle that one and somebody can redirect me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think that at the time you place your reservation for a vehicle, that's... Uh, a handshake agreement between you and Tesla that they're going to be able to deliver you uh, the product you ordered at the price they displayed. Um, so I would not expect for anyone with a Cybertruck pre-order to be charged more than the amount that was shown at the time that they reserved. Anybody want to tack on to that? Uh, I, I would just add that unless you change your configuration, then you might lose the handshake agreement that you had originally. So, for example, if you reserve like a single motor and you decide when the delivery comes that, you know, you want to change to a tri-motor and let's say the tri-motor, the new price is higher than it was before, then you might lose that uh, that benefit or if you didn't take fsd back then and you decide oh yeah but now i want fsd and fsd was seven thousand back when it was uh, announced uh, and now let's say it's 10 or or more then you would lose that yeah. uh, that handshake agreement because you didn't make that option choice back then that's the only thing i i would add okay um so we all heard about the meeting VW did and Elon Musk was obviously was part of the, some of this meeting. I, I wonder is like VW trying to license the full self driving from Tesla, like under the table as there's like, I feel like that will be huge, but I don't know if that will affect Tesla too in the future. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so maybe we try to keep the questions related to the topic of the room and James's expertise. There's always, we always have rooms okay. talking about these things and y y we can answer these questions some other time, but I want to give priority to people who have actual questions relating to James's presentation, if that's all right, Noor. So I'm going to. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, Thank you guys. Yeah, I'm going to take the next caller. Uh, hold on. Make Paul. Go ahead, Paul. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Hey, so yes. Um, James, I see you have the 2021 estimates, but it seems like you're never going into 2022. Um, maybe you addressed this already, but kind of why is that? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I do forecast 2022, 2023, 2024, uh, and 2025, but I don't share those out uh, publicly in, in great detail. What I do is chart them. So if I can direct you back to, um, let's see, you would think I would know what all those slide numbers are. So slide 15 in the deck 
if you if you have the Miro presentation up in front of you, I sure hope everybody does. It's uh, greatly enhancing the audio to be able to see what I'm talking about. Uh, this chart shows my expectations for just the deliveries and the timing of when each model starts. So I've got models on here that Tesla hasn't even announced they plan to make. So I'm kind of taking uh, some limited risk on here. I mean, it's not wholly without uh, support, but I'm just drawing in here. I've, I've got this. Uh, Shanghai Compact, I'm calling it. I uh, I don't have any solid basis to call it a Shanghai Compact. That's just the vehicle that makes sense to me that would get made next uh, in Berlin. So uh, I've been thinking about it, and I don't only have the um, the deliveries number in the model. I have all of the detail that you saw for the years uh, 2018 through 2021, uh, it's just too early uh, for me to feel comfortable publish, uh, pub, uh, publishing those numbers uh, because uh, it's difficult to have any confidence in uh, targets that far out. I'm definitely going to have to have 2022 published soon. Uh, I'll see how I feel about doing 2023 as well. Um, but 2024, 2025, these are... These are way out there, uh, and, and that's not the only chart that has it. Um, I've got an uh, yeah. adjusted EBITDA chart on slide seven that really goes uh, nearly vertical in, into a vertical climb with the increases in FSB revenue that I'm expecting. Um, and then one more question. So have you done an analysis of like statements that they've made about capacity and then actual capacity for the factories that they've built? Like, cause I get the feeling maybe they're sandbagging, but I can't really tell. We, we don't have high confidence that the numbers Tesla shares are the design capacity for real. Uh, because that number can be used against them, and it, and it is, right? People will go on television and say, uh, Tesla claims that they can sell every vehicle they make, but if you look at their stated production capacity, they only delivered 60% of it, right? Well, that's, that's bending the truth uh, to the point of being unrecognizable because the number Tesla publishes is, a year-end uh, capacity number after all the models are ramped and the the delivery number that they're throwing in the numerator is uh, a backward-looking actuals, right? So uh, the people who use such tortured logic either uh, know that that's what they're doing and that it's wrong or they are too incompetent to have their jobs. Thanks a lot, Paul. Yeah, uh, I'm going to take uh, Joe as our next caller. Uh, there you go. Joe, you're up. Joe, if you can unmute. Oh, there you go. Hello, guys. Hey. Sorry, first time I'm calling. Um, I feel like I should say long-time listener, first time caller. <laughs> 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 um, 
Okay, so quick question, and I'm sorry if uh, this is Bush League accounting here on my part, but how are the factory expenses recognized? Like, is that because um, I know it's like uh, voodoo magic with the accounting, you got to amortize it over a long period of time and all this other stuff, but like, is is that, I don't see or any big lumpiness with these two new factories coming online. Is that because the the costs are already like being put in or they get prorated once they, or they start being utilized once it starts producing stuff? And does that impact earnings per share? Yeah, this is uh, one of those areas where accrual basis accounting actually does get it right. Uh, and I'll use as an example uh, a bakery. So let's say that you want to open a bakery and you don't have any equipment to go into that bakery and you need to buy $200,000 worth of equipment to go in there. If you were using cash basis accounting, you would declare almost a $200,000 loss the first week that you opened that bakery because you, you had to pay for, for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the accrual basis accounting method gets it right because they say, wait a minute, that's a long life asset. The, the, all that kitchen equipment is going to last you for years and years uh, before it has to be replaced. There's breweries that are using tanks that are 100 years old, right? Uh, I think Gap would limit you to 40 years max. But uh, mm-hmm. the, the better approach is to depreciate capital assets over a long time. So when you build a factory, yeah, it costs you $2 billion during the course of that uh, project, let's say, that capital project. But you're allowed to capitalize the expenses associated with it. So the cost of all the materials, all the construction workers who put it up can all get rolled into that capital project. And then you can declare a useful life for the asset of, let's say, 40 years. And then you declare depreciation expense against it according to a maker's table, M-A-C-R-S, which gives you more depreciation in the early years, kind of like a car. Uh, As soon as you drive it off the lot, you take a big hit for the depreciation, right? Um, And that just keeps, that expense keeps hitting until there's no more expense left to take against the initial uh, purchase price. Uh, As for the factory workers who are making the cars, are they considered cost of sales? Yes, they are. Uh, Under the gap treatment, uh, it's not just the raw materials that get shipped into the factory or the parts that you buy from your suppliers or the... um, uh, stuff like that. It's also the direct cost of manufacturing. So that includes not even just the hourly uh, factory labor on the floor. Also, anybody who is uh, in a salaried supervisory role working at that factory, um, they count as cost of sales expense, not as SG&A. Did that answer the question? So is that... Yeah, and is that why the two hundred fifty-six thousand for the ten Model Xs? That was not based on the factory depreciation. That was based well, on the the the. So the depreciation is going to be on a per vehicle basis uh, usually. So for the the building, you might say the building is going to have a forty-year life. But for a robot that works on the line, you might say, "Hey, this this robot can only." be expected to turn and lift and twist and drop stuff 
for 1 million vehicles. So you might depreciate the cost of that item evenly across the first million vehicles that it makes. And either it'll be scrap at the end of those million vehicles, and you'll have to buy another robot to replace it, uh, which would also be a capital asset, or it'll still be useful, and you'll just have a net zero book life asset that you're able to keep monetizing um, at at no additional cost. Okay. Okay, and then when you talk about just like a car, so in the beginning it's a bigger hit, but then as it goes, it drops. Um, is that where you're always, I always hear this operating leverage really gets going once you scale at a factory, yeah. right? So we have two new factories that are going to come online. So is that going to cause profits and everything to drop initially? And then over time, as they scale up, you know, it's, it sounds like it's about a year. That'll then start going crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's like having a diversified portfolio of stocks. If you have 20 stocks, you're going to have some that are huge winners, some that are huge losers, and a bunch in the middle, and they average out to be a, a pretty good ter- return, you hope. When you've got all these different sites and all these different models, and they're all ramping at different times, um, some of them are, are early in the ramp. Some of them are late in the ramp. The ones late in the ramp are making more money. The ones early in the ramp are maybe even costing you a little bit of money uh, in the first quarter or two before the break-even volume production hits. So hopefully all that stuff evens out to steady earnings growth over time, barring unusual circumstances like uh, force majeure, you know, factory closures, insane uh, cost pressures, uh, those sorts of things. It, it, so, so barring really unusual stuff, the the profitability ought to continue to improve until all of the models have fully ramped. Right. So, but just so I'm clear, I mean, right now on the two factories, Shanghai and Fremont, they're like not. It's still growing, but they're pretty much peak utilization. So they're like the best profit you're gonna get. But then two more factories, so two to four are going to start out really slow. So is it going to have this drop in like earnings per share or, you know, the profit margin will drop because all of a sudden you've got, you know, half of your, or, or is, oh, I see, because they're making so few cars, it won't be a material impact. It's only maybe towards halfway through next year or three quarters that we'll start seeing that drag in gross margin. Yeah. You want to care about the dollars and you want to care about the percentages the percentages are bad early in the ramp, but the dollars are small. So they get, uh, the, the dollars get drowned out uh, in the mix by, gotcha. by other models that are way uh, more productive at, uh, at producing vehicles per, per day. Okay, and last question. I know I've killed you <laughs> today, but um, on Elon's comp, you said there's only half a billion left. But like you said, it depends on like it, when it happens and it's, you know, it's hard to predict. But it looked like these last two quarters were the, the biggest like ever. And or maybe if I remember correctly, two or three have been really big chunks. You, you don't perceive they're going to be that like he must have hit like two tranches in a, in a quarter. Right. Um, so the, the reason that I went to so much trouble to do those last few pages of the review to get the, mm-hmm. um, the expense forecast right is because it's just such tortured, convoluted logic to figuring out what the 
expense is going to be. And I still don't get very close <laughs> on on my expenses, but I'm not way off either. I, I had initially just been expecting that these early steps would keep happening. And I got surprised by one here. And I was like, whoa, this is suddenly way bigger. Why would that happen? And I had to dig into really arcane accounting uh, sources. <laughs> and, and more than a few people uh, had to help me figure out how the how the process works. Because, you know, you, if you read the 10Q, they do spell it all out. But it is thick reading. And you're like, well, I don't know how a Black-Scholes model works. Do I need to know how to do that? I did actually get one from uh, uh, Damodaran's model and uh, repurposed it to figure out how to. So I know how to do Black Shoals now. Uh, <laughs> if I can, if I can find that workbook again, uh, it's uh, it's a complicated mess. But if the the easiest way I can explain it is in mid 2020 to mid 2021 rapid progress was being made towards market cap uh, goals that was not previously expected. And at the same time, the revenue in the EBITDA were getting better. So all of the metrics that Elon needed to make progress towards, he was making more rapid progress than expected. So they had to catch up the expense to the outperformance versus their conservative expectations of how long it would take to achieve all these goals. Right. But there's so little left now that even if it dropped all in one quarter, which it never will, it, the company would still be profitable for that quarter, yes. right? Because they're just making so much money that it offset. I do not think Tesla could declare all of it in Q3, but even if they did, the earnings would still be a positive number. Okay, and then and then one last thought. Just this is not a question; this is a thought. Is just that the only reason that I could see them not taking that in the fourth quarter, your your big one billion dollar or whatever it was, loss to net out the taxes. The only way I could see it would be for political reasons. So they showed that Tesla, you know, because it's they keep being hit, just like Elon gets hit, saying, "Oh, these big companies are making money and not paying any taxes." That's the only reason I could see why, other than the auditors not laying it, but. I was just curious if you you agreed or are you pretty solid that it's going to happen Q4 no matter what? I agree that it would need to be a mercurial decision like the one you described in order to not do it because the time value of money is a core concept of financial management and money now is worth more than money later. If the auditors are good with taking a $1.6 billion contra expense against tax liability, you should take it as soon as they'll let you take it. Uh, that's it. <laughs> it's bordering on financial mismanagement not to take it. I was about to say, yeah, I was going to say fiduciary responsibility. Yeah. It's almost like you have to. Yeah. yeah. So I, I can't imagine uh, that, that it'll be later than Q4. Maybe it'll be Q3 and it'll surprise everybody with a giant number. I mean, if you see something that beats everybody's expectations by one and a half billion dollars. That would be my first guess as to what happened. And what would the earnings per share be? It would be two something. Yeah, right? it would be that point. might be three something. It'd be a big number. Right. But of course they'll all say they'll just work it's one time so they don't care, even though it's Wall Street a billion dollars. Yeah, Wall Street is gonna back it out because it's not earned within the period. It's from a prior period. 
So it doesn't, it, it's a, it's a non-recurring, non-sustainable favorability. Um, gotcha. Like the Bitcoin stuff. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for this. You're awesome, James. You're right. awesome. Thank you Thank so you. much for spending this much time with sure. us. Sure. Yes. Yes, he is. Okay. We're going to take one last caller. Zero hero. You're up. Can you unmute your mic? Hello. Hello. Hi. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. So I want to thank everyone here for doing such great work for humanity and helping like little guys like us find alpha in these times. Um, so uh, just a question for James regarding his uh, slide uh, tweet 47 out of 69. Um, I'm seeing that Tesla Energy's cost of sale percentage has been relatively flat throughout the quarters. And I'm just wondering if you have any insights on um, why that's the case and, you know, uh, when do you expect the, the Tesla energy part of the business to, I don't know, take off? I don't see the margins improving substantially until there's sufficient sell supply to ramp the volume of product delivered a lot higher. This is a tough industry to be in. Like, there are not a lot of solar panel or battery companies out there bringing down giant earnings. It's kind of a uh, a low barrier to entry uh, industry. So there's a lot of competitors. They compete on price because they don't have a lot of differentiation. Tesla has differentiation with solar roof, which is why I think they're going to try to focus more on it uh, being something that competitors do not offer. Um, as well as, uh, to, to a lesser extent, uh, Powerwall. Megapack is, is great, and utility demand ought to be really high for that because it, when combined with Tesla's auto-bidder software, which is proprietary, um, I guess somebody with enough effort could duplicate it, um, is a money maker. I mean, you can... The, the ROI is short on buying a ton of megapacks if you produce a lot of electricity and uh, have a lot of grid instability with your duck curve. Or if you're a power company that owns really costly peaker plants that you can decommission um, running natural gas only at peak uh, usage times of day. Uh, so as soon as Tesla can ramp the... LFP cells to supply Megapack, that business ought to get a lot better. And you ought to be able to command some uh, pricing for the value proposition of uh, pairing it with the auto bidder software to automatically buy electricity and store it in the cells when it's cheap and automatically sell that electricity back to the grid when costs are high. I see. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. Um, do you know the reason why uh, Tesla will be prioritizing sales for auto business over the grid, over the grid scale storage systems? Uh, because it seems like the grid scale storage systems would be have a higher margin. It, it seems I have no actual facts on this matter, 
uh, just from like a commonsensical perspective and cash flows perspective, um, it would seem that the grid scale storage would be a higher margin on sales. Um, yeah, I was just wondering if you have any comments on that. Uh, I'm my my only thought is that it's related to the cost of shutting down a factory relative to the cost of selling less mega packs, right? Uh, you don't have to idle thousands and thousands of workers to stop making mega packs, but you do if you uh, don't have enough cells to keep your automotive production lines running. So, I mean, you're making all the money so, out so, of the auto so, business, and that's where your better margins are, and that's where your uh, cost base expense is centered. So that's where you have to feed the cells to first. Okay, so it's it's not necessarily a, a problem with demand for these megapack sto- uh, systems, but rather just that the physical infrastructure is not ready to handle such a business line? I, I don't know if that's the the problem it's uh it, it's just that if you've got if you've got two different divisions in your company one of which is generating let's you know let's call it a really decent um uh, 20 24% gross margin ish and you got another one that's barely cracking single digits uh and you don't have enough cells to give both uh what they need and if the cost base, meaning the number of people who work at the factories, is heavily skewed towards the auto business, you would not choose to idle those uh, automotive assembly plants uh, in lieu of uh, selling a whole lot of mega packs that you could have made thousands of cars out of. I see. So, so then. What you're saying is, you know, in a couple of key metrics to look out for on the energy side of the business would be additional factories for the, or or hiring for the, you know, for the additional production of mega packs and cells. It it, it all goes back to cell supply. Tesla's trying to buy all the cells yeah. they can get their hands on, and uh, the world is not making enough. Uh, I see. Tesla. Yes, and, yeah. and, and and to your point, they have started construction on a megapack factory in California. So at, yeah, at Lathrop. Yeah, Lathrop. Yeah. Cool. Yep. All right. Cool. Thanks, guys. Um, Th- super thanks helpful. Thanks a lot. Doing. Okay, so James has been super generous with his time on his Saturday, just over three hours. So I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. For coming and doing this with us today. Yeah, thank you, James. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you, James. Yeah, and, and you have, thanks to the Europeans for staying up late. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any? Do you have any closing thoughts, James? You would like to share? Uh, yeah, well, thanks for the opportunity to uh, talk Tesla. It's something I enjoy doing, and uh, hopefully, um, I know not everybody had a chance to ask their question, but if you go to Twitter, you can uh, reply to me. If you're following me, I will see your reply. Uh, and be able to uh, answer questions that maybe you didn't have a chance to ask during the session. And uh, hopefully we didn't screw up too bad, and uh, the YouTube video will be posted soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So before you ask your questions, watch the video yes. first, and, and then ask your questions to, to, to James on Twitter. There you go.
Okay. Well, thank you everybody for being with us. Please make sure to subscribe to the, to the podcast and we'll catch you soon. Uh, probably the next episode will be October 20th for the earnings call. So like tune in, subscribe, and you'll get a notification to come join us. We'll be talking. Maybe James will even be back. It's He's not confirmed, but... We'll, we'll see how it goes. Exactly. We'll see. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot, everybody. Have a nice afternoon, evening. Thank you. Bye-bye.